all the things in the world of cinema. Oh, I am one of your hosts, Jonathan McQuarter. I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Jean Pepperdown. What was the inspiration for this? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like, like you. I, <laughs> I listen. I almost went. I bum 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 bum. Mostly famous. That would be Dude, better. Stop chaos. That would have been so much better. But I didn't think about it until I was already dedicated to whatever that was. No, I could tell there so, was there was a <laughs> there there was. A train track to say. Yeah, yeah. I was at an intersection. There was an intersection. Mostly film is your one-stop chaotic shop for all things the world of cinema. I am one of your hosts, Jonathan McQuarter. Joined by JP Payton. That's me. And then technically I should do one more. But you don't have to. <laughs> but I can't think of, there was another song that went through that film over and over and over and over again, besides Mr. Sandman and Mr. Nobody, but I can't think of what it was. I didn't notice that. No, the, the, it had a, that, Mr. Nobody had a great soundtrack. Okay. Uh, <sighs> balls. Anyway, hang on. Tell me what you've been <laughs> work doing, and I'm going to look this up. Uh, what have I been doing? Um, yeah, not a whole you lot. You did some like, funeral stuff. I did, yeah. I had to work a funeral at the church, which isn't fun. Um, not because it's inconvenient or anything like that, but it just—it's heavy. <laughs> Gosh, it's, it's heavy stuff. Death um, is yeah, um, it's, it's hard stuff. But you know, I got I got old Gary to come out with me oh, and, Gary. and help out, <laughs> and uh, got to spend some quality time with him. So it was good. Um, did, you, did you ever find that song? Uh, I'm looking at the, the soundtrack uh, for the it. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I don't rem- like. I remember the Sandman. Well, there's like five different versions of Sandman on here for that song. Yeah, they're all different. Huh. A little different, different artists. Yeah. Okay. I thought there was another song on here, but maybe not. Mm. But um. Uh, but yeah, we are here. Um. Ready to talk about some awesome movies. Yeah. So um, the, you know and. Fun fact, we'll just go and tell you now. It's a little spoiler alert. Because, uh, you know, we're going to spend some time on Mr. Nobody and Boogie Nights. And also we're breaking down Barbie and Oppenheimer. Full full spoiler. Full spoiler. So just know that ahead of time. And we'll give you ample warning when we go into those. Because we're not starting with those. We're starting with Mr. Nobody and um, Boogie Nights. But anyway, uh, it's, I know last week we mentioned that we were going to jump into Todd Haynes' filmography next. Um, I say I think we're going to table that yeah. and do him in September. Yes. Because uh, we kind of like this vibe we got going on with each of us choosing a movie the other hasn't seen and kind of yeah. countering it off to genre styles. Uh, so we're going to carry that on because we're taking a break next week because JP will be in Daytona. So the next week back, we're going to be doing uh, Annette. It's my choice for JP to watch. Yeah. And his choice was uh, Mississippi Grind. Mississippi Grind with Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn. I couldn't think of the name of the film, but I could see the actors. Yes. So, uh, those will be our movies we, we, we break down the next time you hear from us in a couple of weeks. I'm, so. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think you are absolutely going to love Miss. I think Grind. so too. And I think you're absolutely going to love Annette. Oh, well. so I think this is going to be a great time. Uh, Which I'll be pleased, you know, if I actually like one because you've been kind of. I gave Boogie you know, Nights four and a half stars. You, I've been good. I've been good. You at my, just have bad taste. I, I. <laughs> Mr. Okay. Nobody's a freaking banger. Let's talk about it. Let's, Let's talk it. about it. Let's jump in. So Tuesday, you said you're giving me some shit about Jared Leto. You said no one's a bigger Jared Leto fan than me. And it felt like some shade. Jared it, Leto, there was some shade. Jared Leto is a pretty renowned, well, like a good actor. 
What's your issue with Jared Leto before we even jump in? I mean, he's a titular character in Mr. Nobody, so there's that. He's the main star. This is the vehicle written for him. So I do not like Jared Leto's lead. Why? I think it's personality. Um, like it's an on-screen persona. Uh, there are moments where, and it's always it's always the type of parts that he's kind of playing in Mr. Nobody to where it's almost kind of manic. Um, I don't think his character is necessarily manic. I think just based off what happens in the story, you get different versions of him. Um, that like just in this film, or just are you talking about in, in Mr. Nobody? I'm well, saying I mean just in general. In gen- yes, I'm saying in general. Like as a lead, whenever he is, he he is having to play one specific type of person. Mm-hmm. I think there's not enough range, and He's I think won there's an Oscar. Which one? Dallas Buyers Club. Yes. Okay. In that role, though, was that not the one? Is he drag in that? Yes. So I think again. I think when he's having to play something that is completely like zero to 100 type type of role, mm-hmm. I think he's better suited for that. There's these roles where he's more subdued. Um, I haven't seen Requiem for a Dream. I know that's Great pretty film. crazy. Um, it's probably really good. I don't remember him in American Psycho. Is he playing? It, it's just like a, a secondary very, character. Maybe a third character. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, Fight Club was a good example of like a secondary character that is good because I think he it's kind of pivotal in that movie, but he's otherwise in the background. <sighs> I mean, Morbius, should I say more? Um, Girl Interrupted, though, is one that I've wanted to watch for a while. Like, there's just not many lead roles that he plays that I'm just really interested in. Like, so I look at his, if I'm looking through his filmography right now, like he's great in Lord of War. I already told you about that. You can watch that. He's, I thought he was not fine. a lead though. No. Uh, the Little Things with Denzel Washington and Rami Malek. He is one of the three leads in that film. I did not enjoy that. I liked that one. Did I thought he was it. good. Uh, I thought I, I controversial. I'm about to say it. Yeah, I like his Joker. Did not like it. I don't think it's the best by any means, but I like his Joker. I mean, I don't like his laugh, which obviously is inspired from this film. Um, I just, I just like Jared Leto, right? Whatever. But he's good in Fight Club. Yeah, I said that. Well, I'm I just gave saying. you that. But he, and you haven't seen Lord of War. What about House uh, of Gucci? I like him in House of Gucci. House of Gucci's been one that I've wanted to watch for a while. You haven't seen House of Gucci? Yeah, I just don't get oh. to it. Oh yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, all right. Anyway, whatever. You can hate me for liking Jared Leto. I don't care. I just don't think it. I don't hate you for liking Jared Leto. I just think it's telling that you like Jared Leto. The same way I think it's telling that your wife likes Braden on The Bachelorette. Well, Bachelorette sucks. <laughs> anyway. So, Jared Leto is the lead in uh, Mr. Nobody. Um, do you want to go kind of go and kind of get into what's going on in this well, movie? Because this is this is this is your thing. I, I do. But <laughs> how? How does one get into uh, string theory? Well, so it's called the chaos theory, first the chaos of all. Chaos theory, excuse it has, me. It has a reasoning. I was calling somebody. See, they tell me they like Jared Leto, but I hung up because <laughs> I'm not going to go because I got to talk about this film. I actually need to focus. Uh, so Mr. <laughs> Nobody, I'm just going to read the quick, is this is a 2009 movie. I'm just going to read the quick synopsis of Letterbox does. Nothing is real. Everything is possible. That isn't the best two word synopsis or two sentence synopsis. I don't know what it is. Yeah. 
Nemo nobody uh, leads an ordinary existence with his wife and three children. One day he wakes up as a mortal centurion in the year 2092. Uh, Mr. Nobody is insane. Like this movie is, it starts off with a shoestring chaos theory. So basic, I'm too dumb to explain the chaos theory to anybody. Um, but it opens with like the dove, the pigeon in there showing that, you know, it gets used to one outcome. It triggers something to think it can make the same outcome happen again. It like drops these little Easter eggs to try to like piece together this film for you because it takes place in, let's see, how many different realities can we count? The one where he's married to Elise. Yeah, I think at the least. The one marries, he's married to the uh, Asian girl and the one where he's married to Anna. Yeah, there's three. And then the one where he's not to any of them. Yeah, there's so three different. There's four. I think there's multiple because there are different situations where he's with one said person dies and ends up with another or tries to go after another. Yeah. So I, there, there are multiple. I mean, it is is fractures, you know, of of different realities. Yeah. So the crux of this film, like the thing that I feel like we know for sure are two things. Yeah. There's two certainties in this film. Can, do you know what they are? Where I'm about to go with? I'm curious if you get the same thing before I say it. To me, there are two certain facts of timeline that we know exist. His his parents get divorced. That would be one. The childhood up to that moment yeah. at the train tracks. Yeah. And then what what would be the other one that you think is like? I'm I'm honestly curious. Child what do you th- up to the train tracks, and I mean we know that the dad, the accident happened. Oh, that accident. led up to the divorce. Okay, you know, well, yes, but actually, we don't know that technically. But anyway, hang on, we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> so the train that that is one key fact for yeah. me. Like, hey, like we know this timeline happened where the parents get divorced and he's at a crux where he's choosing from his mom and dad at the train tracks. Mm-hmm. And then there's another piece of the film that I think is a certainty fact. It's not one of the biggest running plots of the film. That he ends up with Anne. The future of the old man him. That's what I'm thinking of. The futuristic him. Unless you don't think that's real. So the idea of the past and the present or the past and the future kind of like head on collision. Like there's a, there is a conversion of that, which would be the crut, the, what is it? The crunch. There comes a point basically that if you don't make it this, this shit, this, this decision, whatever has happened in the future, has happened in the future, what's happening mm. would then, I guess, cease to exist. I feel like if we're, we just jumped into this movie talking about this without any plot, this is so confusing. This is just so confusing. Well, this film is very confusing. <laughs> well, anyway, so no, no, the question, well, I was leading to the question, I was going to go into it. Like, yeah. to me, there's two facts, and this is a good starting ground. The the train tracks crux of the decision is one fact we know for sure happened yeah. despite all the other twenty five threads. And then I get the the fit the, the, the takes place where he's 118 at years the old. Very end. Like that whole storyline yeah. where he's in therapy I, and all that stuff. Like or therapy, like the hypnotism stuff. Yes. That is a certainty too. You have the train tracks and you have twenty ninety two. I think the ending or I, I think what you're you're referencing is the inception spinning top thing. Um, well, do you think the 2092, the like him narrating his like walking through the different scenarios, you think that's a fact or no? You think that's not real? I think it's a storytelling device. I think it's just, I think it is. So what else do you think is certain? What else do you think is a for certainty in this film then? 
Because to me, I took it as... I think everything up until nine years old is certain. And everything else could could be all fictionalized. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll explain later why I think the future is real. But, okay. Okay. So um, this will all make sense later, but I was just <sighs> curious because that, that was... Because if I needed a baseline, well, I'm to here where for you think. I'm here for discussion. Yeah, I needed a baseline to where you yeah. think, where you think was real. So it takes place following Nemo, nobody who. Okay, well, here's another question: <laughs> Is the yeah whole, we forgot we forgot the weirdest part of this whole thing somehow? Yeah, yeah. is the whole angel touching yes. your lips thing was that real? I think so. Yeah, In the narrative of the film, or is that because, something he because made up? Because we know because we know he has this ability. To see so, the future, but does he, or is that something he made up? So there's this weird, which I'm I'm assuming is just some kind of like folklore thing that's in some European like folklore yeah. type thing. Where this is a French film, French film. This okay, French well, film. either way, like my poster in the staircase is all in French. Okay, so all these babies who are basically waiting <laughs> to find a home, they're in this like he- spiritual white void. Yeah void and before they get a, before they're dispatched for home <laughs> they get an angel's kiss which is basically just they put their finger over their like a rubber of their lip which yeah, all the of bridge have, like, of their mouth purse here yeah. yeah and nemo got skipped so he didn't have one so in the process of him finding a home since he did not have that touch um he remembers everything once they've been touched they forget everything type of thing um and so since he remembers everything, it somehow affects his ability to see mm-hmm. into the future. Um, and yeah, there uh, as he as he grows up, he has different instances where his his mom explains it as deja vu, which it could be described as deja vu. Yeah. But, you know, it's you know, it's significant because he pees himself every time he like levitates every time, off whatever yes. he is mentally or maybe physically i don't even know yes so uh, he's got like clairvoyant you can whatever. pick it up so yeah um so that, that that's the, like the baseline for nemo and that's weird because he gets to like they're like babies in heaven basically is how i equate it and they're going to become sent down to earth and yeah. they're going to have these babies but they're like choosing it like an adoption agency and they get to choose which home they're going to be birthed into it's weird yeah um anyway so that, that that's where the movie just starts. It's going off the walls and like the timelines are already out of whack because it starts off with an adult Jared Leto. Then it goes to kid Jared Leto. You don't get introduced to like the baby lip person to like 20 minutes into the film. Oh, that's true. It does. It does open <laughs> up with old man Jared Leto, which <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat, <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat. I hate, I hate the old man Jared Leto. Hate, hate the design. Hate the accent. Well, it's very 2009. I don't care. It looked good for 2009. It did not look good yes, for 2009. It did good for 2009. Mm-hmm. And they should have cast Ben Kingsley as his therapist. Yeah, there were moments where I thought it was Ben Kingsley. I did too. And I was like, why is this not Ben Kingsley? Yeah. <laughs> Budget, guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know this film's a huge success in other territories? Yeah, it's a, it's a foreign film. And it was expected to do well here and it didn't. Mm, not Audi- surprised. Well, it's too long for American audiences it's, for the most part. And it's so hard to yeah. follow. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Let's, 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 get, let's get into the meat here because I could just sit here and talk semantics where we even get to the plot of the film. <laughs> so Nemo, as the little like nine-year-old boy, is, is how old he is, um, he has crushes on three girls. Elise, Anna, and Jean. And that's like a big part of his growing up. And they all three like him, apparently, too, to some capacity. And... um 
those three names or the names of those three girls that kind of intertwine through his life and all these different scenarios and all through his ages. Um, so you kind of hold that move on. And then uh, he comes to this crux where his parents are getting a divorce um, and they're at a train tracks and he's choice. Like he, they ask him, who do you want to stay with your mom and dad? And he kind of doesn't make a choice. So his mom takes that as she's choosing, he's choosing the dad. She gets on the train and then she calls for him. So he's like, Oh shoot. Well, I want to go with mom instead. So he chases after the train and the first time she reaches out her hand and he catches the train. She pulls him on the train and then you follow his storyline with his mom for a little bit. Yeah. Then about 20 minutes later, you're flashed back to the train. He chases after his mom, rinse and repeat. And then her, his dad calls out to him. It slows him down. He doesn't make the train. Um, and the third one happens. It happens again another time. And he but doesn't make the train. And then he doesn't make the train again. And he just decides to. But that's that's kind of part of the reveal. So let's yeah, take okay. move on. We'll go back so to those are the two big cruxes. What if he chooses his mom? What if he chooses his dad? Yeah. And each of those choices also have different outcomes for the three women he ends up with. Butterfly effect is very much uh, a big theme to this. Yeah. yeah. So and so that's why this movie's so long, too, is each love relationship is explored in each different dynamic. So in the in the case where he chooses his mother, you get the full dynamic of his mother and his relationship and Jean and Anna and Elise which, and his dad. Which you find out the mom, the mom and dad are separating because A, the dad's kind of a failed... Weatherman. <laughs> yeah, failed weatherman. Um, but the mother ha- has had an affair and is basically leaving. Yep. You find out whenever once she's moved away that her and the guy that Nemo finds out had found out before they had separated that she was in this relationship. Um, they're 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 going to live together. They have, they're going to have this relationship wherever mm-hmm. they moved. Um, and yeah, I think it um, that was the most interesting storyline for me. Really? Yes, it was the most complex. I guess is the best way to put it. This whole this whole movie is pretty complex. Uh, it yeah. is layered. It, it's so- it's layered. Yeah. There's a lot going on. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Uh, so w- which which storyline did you see was more entertaining to you? The mother or the father? Um, so the mother, the mother storyline, just for, I'm not going to go break this down super nitty gritty, yeah. is more of a traditional, wealthier may not be the right word, but affluent kind of state, kind of live in a nice apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, he has kind of a singular romance with his sister to be, yeah. um, but they had a pre-standing romance before they found out that they were, their parents were having an affair with each other. And they decided to date. Um, anyway, and then the one back home is, you know, his dad gets sick and is like kind of a cripple in some way and has to take care of his dad and is kind of self having to take care of himself. Yeah. And he kind of has a relationship with Elise mainly. Elise. Yeah. Uh, so the way I look at it, he stuck with Elise in one timeline. He, but he ultimately kind of is with Anna. If you think of how it ends on Mars. Yeah. And then you have the mom storyline where he is Anna exclusively. Then you have some alternate reality where he's with Elise or with uh, Gene, but it's never where he wants to be because he's thinking of Elise. He's and with, yes, he's with Gene out of spite to Elise. Elise so he's yeah. never truly with. Yeah, yeah, because which, he says Elise every time he wakes up from his yes. sleep. And she's like, who's Elise? I go, I don't know Elise. Um, so Elise is played by Sarah Polly, which gives the most interesting <laughs> performance of it all. One of the best scenes in the whole film is when they're having a birthday party. Um, and Elise 
is like a manic depressive kind of type and like regrets her whole life and marrying Nemo and all this kind of stuff. And, um, she comes down to the party and decides cause she's missing her daughter's party and her kids hate her and all this kind of stuff. Cause she's not manic depressive. I'll be honest. Yeah. It was, it was a really good portrayal of, uh, manic depression. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know how much experience you've had with people like that, but there, there's been moments where I'm like, Oh, one moment you're there and now you're here. And, I thought it was encapsulated pretty well. Uh, Sarah Polly's awesome. So yeah, she, she she was great here, and I just kept even though I've seen this film three or four times, I kept waiting every time she goes down to the birthday party. I keep waiting for her to do something crazy, like shoot herself in the face or something. <laughs> yeah, it just you get that vibe. Something bad's about to happen, and it doesn't. Um, but yeah, Sarah Polly was great uh, in 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 this film. I wish you actually got more of her in this role. Yes. Um, that was uh one of my that was one of my critiques is that I wish we could have experienced or, or explored kind of just the the struggle with that. Yeah, because she's second build, so you would think that she would get more screen time, but really you get a lot more of um Diane Kruger, which Diane Kruger's a household name. Yeah. She's in a lot of stuff. And she she was she was very good as adult on it too, but it's kind of a simpler simpler role, I guess. And then I kept thinking, where have I seen young Anna before? She's in Ted Lasso. What character? Uh, the girlfriend of what's his name in the first season. Then she just sticks around afterwards. Uh, what's his name? Juno Temple's her actress name, but she's in Ted Lasso. She's like the main girl character. What? Yeah, you see it now. Yes. Yeah. It bugged me the whole time oh that I had to Google God. it. Oh my God. Yeah. Now you know. Mind blown. Holy crap. Yeah. She looks not that's what is crazy. Well, it's literally 24 years later. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess you're right. No, 14 years later. Not 24. Yeah, 14 still. Yeah. Uh anyway, yeah. So that was just a little sidetrack there. So, you know, it, like how do you talk about this film fully? <laughs> I think I think you got to talk about each relationship and how because I don't think you can because there's a lot of cross cutting. Because um, in order to talk about the adult relationship, you have to talk about the child relationship. In order to talk about child relationship, you have to talk about the different versions of the child relationship. Yeah, I think. And Elise is the most layered of the child relationships. Yeah, um, you look at the decision to stay with his mom. You see one of. You know, there's a lot of resentment towards his mother mm -hmm. um, and which drives him into, um, you know, it, obviously he was attracted to her from the beginning. So it was going to happen. His but mother? it just no, no. Uh, Anna yeah. was getting to. Yeah. Um, once once the boyfriend and Anna had moved in to the house, like you just knew that they were going to be together. But yeah. it kind of it kind of fueled that attraction. Yeah. And the parents are freaking out because they didn't know they when they finally find out. When they finally found out, yes. They don't know they have this pre, pre-existing relationship. Yeah. And they think they're just like incesting each other. Which they are, yeah. Not really. They're not. No, married. they're not related. Yes, I know. Uh, but. That's like the number one like porn, like stepbrother, stepsister thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it is. There's not a lot happening. Um, but it, it's the only story where you're watching the the actual relationship that Nemo's having and mm -hmm. it makes the most sense. Um, yeah. It seems like 
this whole this whole story is kind of based around all these different possibilities and you know what what is the right way what is the right path and what is um what is truly meant to be um i think a viewer could have watched this and that's where i think kind of like the there's a little bit of fault to the story of it um and is the obvious like true love and that's the one he ultimately ends up with because the third option he chooses yeah is to not choose either yes. parent and to run opposite train tracks and then which leads to what again the pier where he's homeless sleeping on the uh, bench and he draws a circle but i around thought it. that was i thought that was also the one where it is I know. So all these different tracks and lead branches to lead to. So I'm just gonna. So outside of that, there's the there's the other other choice where he ends up staying with his dad. People listen to this right now, like, what the fuck is going on? Listen, this is the experience of watching Mr. Nobody. It is an experience. It is. That's why I, I told you this is not this is not a movie you can passively watch. No, because even watching it, it's I've seen this movie three or four times, and I'm still like, man. I feel like I, I feel like I, I, yeah, I grasp the basic concepts here, I but like trying to discuss it still is like, oh, gosh, how do you really timeline make this work and for people to hear and understand? I mean, like I followed the movie, what was happening, but it was still, it just didn't make sense why they were doing it. Type yeah. Of so thing. here's my theory. Well, can we talk about the dad Side because well, I think that's where I'm about okay. To say. Okay, so here's my theory, and it takes place in the dad's okay. dad's universe. So the mom's universe actually has the least amount of story. It may have most screen time, but it has the least amount of impactful story because the majority of the stuff with the mom is him with young Anna and yeah. their relationship. Okay, the adult version, uh, or the majority of the other stuff is with the dad. The dad is like crippled. Uh, Tim kind of had to take care of his dad and grow up real fast. So he's very socially awkward, doesn't really have relationships, except he has a crush on Elise. Elise has a crush on another guy. And out of, you know, out of spite in one universe, she ends up with Nemo. And out of spite in another one, he ends up with Gene. Yeah. So there's, those are your two different options. But he really wants to be with Elise. Anna's not on the board there because she moved away. She so she's not, she's not there. Um, in the dad universe where all this is happening... There's a lot of rage built in because he's experiencing a lot of heartbreak, a lot of frustration about everything, yeah. whether it be Elise, whether it be Gene, whether it be his dad. And, you know, in these universes, you know, one where he's very affluent and very wealthy is with uh, Gene, but he hates his life because he's not with Elise. The other one with Elise, they're, you know, middle class, three kids. He's like a brilliant physicist or something like that. And yeah. but Elise is miserable because she don't want to be there. Uh. I don't think that's necessarily true, though. That Elise isn't happy? That, that Elise is never going to be happy, and that's why she ultimately it, leaves. Yes. Yeah. To go try to find Stefano. Stefano, or, yeah. yeah. Whatever his name was. Uh, I, I, it just felt like Sarah Paul's going to kill herself the whole film. Yeah, I kept waiting for it. Yeah. Um, that would have been pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, so. Would have fit the film. And then, but he always promised to spread her ashes on Mars. So you get a nice little Mars scene. And what the best part about it was, all roads still lead to Anna. Because on the Mars journey, he sits there and him and Anna are sitting there talking. So I love that. That was one of my favorite parts. Of the yeah. Film. Anyway, uh, but what my theory on this film is, is in the dad's universe, with all this is going on. Um, he, like a big part of this film is the consistent flashes to him riding his little moped 
and screaming out of anger with tears running down his eyes and frustration yeah. multiple times, probably five or six times throughout the film in the dad's storyline. And one of them, he has a really bad car accident, hits a tree and ends up in a coma. Yeah. So all through high school, I was a Which, stoner and stuff anyway. And I could, I, I called it the coma theory um, that we are all living in a coma right now. Yeah. Um, you know, because everybody's heard phantom voices in your head that nobody called. There's people in the hospital talking to you, trying to yeah. get your attention. Or like phantom pains in your arm or whatever. That would be IVs or whatever, you know, or getting choked randomly or something. That could be a tube in your throat. All sorts of different stuff, you know. Yeah. Or, or, and, you know, dr- we could be people. There's literally records of people who've been in a coma for like three weeks who said they fell in the coma for 40 years, like relived their whole life mm-hmm. and, and some. My theory on Mr. Nobody is, and the reason you get all these different timelines is because nine-year-old Nemo, or no, not nine-year-old, uh, 13-year-old Nemo, 14-year-old Nemo, whatever, yeah, does have this wreck, ends up in a coma, and live, re- literally lives out every possible scenario he can live, including the old age. And that's how he ends his life. And then him going backwards in time is him waking up from the coma. That's my theory. Um, yeah. That makes it make sense for me. I think if... I don't think there's enough at the end of the movie that would justify that. I can see oh, where that... I can see, see that. I understand I can see where from. that would work, but I still think it ends and begins... Begins and ends with the train scene. Like, you don't... It, it symbolizes way too much. Um, and I think overall... And was it nine-year-old Nemo who started writing the book? No, it's it's middle school. Okay. And the the Mars thing, like that's a majority of that has taken place in the um in the coma. Yeah. So that's that's where all that's <clears throat> taking place. Um is the coma. So but no, because he didn't really No no. Oh, see, this is where it, it's like this movie is two hours long. It's uh, like yeah, two hours and 20 minutes long. It's like an hour, an hour, 10 minutes into it. The stories start to overlap. Mm-hmm. That's that's whenever like, and like flip on a blink too. Yes. And that's that's like if you're viewing this as one singular train track taking off from a station and it slowly starts to to have different tracks and all these different train tracks start to crossover into one another it is it's really hard to keep up after you know that 70 minute mark yeah um some some of the reviews on here are funny like i don't know what happened in this film five stars or i don't know what i don't know what happened in this film one star like so i think this movie has like a gilliam effect to me very very gilliam and that's i i understand that's why you like it and maybe that's These why type I movies are like dopamine for me. I know. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I want to, I want I mean, to three and a half stars, a good rating for you. Yeah. And there were moments. So there was, there were moments where I was watching. I was like, Oh, this, this could be good. Like I loved how it started. Yeah. The whole pigeon theory t- mm-hmm. thing. Love that. I love how it kind of picks up. It, it, it started out to be kookier than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the future scenario, yeah. but at the end, so you find out the plaid stuff. I love the whole plaid stuff at the end, the plaid world he's in. Yes. After it's explained yeah. of 
the, so there's there is um after old nemo wakes up and is basically being um go, going through therapy or whatever hypnotized by this sentient like i don't know if he's a robot or they're all eternal basically they yeah. have like they can modify themselves for eternity are they or did they upload their consciousness good question i yeah, just thought, i just other. assumed it was yeah no you might be right with the consciousness i, I yeah. think it's a consciousness thing yeah. um because he's the only mortal um yeah. and so yeah the, the, this ben kingsley looking dude that has tattoos wow. all over his face looks like a maze which again i think it's just supposed to to symbolize the 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 I thought crazy. his face was I thought his face was supposed to symbolize the ink blots that he was yes. supposed to look at. Yeah. But it's it's all about you know interpretation. Perception, yeah. Yeah, perception. Um see you should be talking yourself up. This movie's just an art, man. It didn't land it didn't land <laughs> for me personally. I think um I wanted uh, first of all, justice for Gene. Cause Gene Yeah, she gets the short end of the stick here. Listen, there's a version of the story where where Jean is the the main character, mm-hmm. and like she's the one that's been like the same way Nemo has been fixated on Anna and is just wants to have her for, uh, in his life. Jean is just wanting the same thing for mm-hmm. Nemo, and uh, the one one story where he gets her, you know, he he doesn't really want her. No, he wants a lease, um, which is the worst option. <laughs> yeah, that was sad. Um, which is part of the brilliance of the film. Listen, I gotta, I, I, Jaco Van Dormel, whatever. Yeah. This is a tragic love story. Like, I love the, f- take out the kookiness of the film. This is a great love, love triangle paradox here. Yeah. All roads lead to Anna, but everything else is complete and utter heartbreak along the way. But I'm pushed back on that, though. Everything leads back to Anna is because whenever, so once he's waking up, He's basically waiting there. It's a countdown to if he dies, a reporter mm. breaks in and is trying to do this interview. And that's where he kind of goes into detail of like, and the all reporter's these, us. He's like, I all don't these understand. lives, yeah, all these lives that he's lived. And he's so confused. And the, the, you know, he's, there's a point where he's explained, I've ended up with these different women in my life. And the reporter pushes back and he's like, you know, what, like, like, who was the right one? Like, what was the right, path that you lived or whatever he was like they all mattered they all matter like every like none matter less than another right how can you say that but at the very end you're like anna it was always anna yeah like it just kind of diminishes everything else and was like why why commit so much so much real estate and time into all these other possibilities if you're gonna it say that they matter. Yeah, so tracking it down, obviously the mom storyline he's with Anna ends up with Anna. Uh, after even after like losing her and getting finding her again, the Elise storyline. Uh, he's with Elise. Then after she dies, he goes to spread, spread her ashes on Mars, mm-hmm. where he meets Anna. You can just that, the the Mars thing is not real. That does not happen. I, I know, but in that storyline yeah. though, he, he ends up with he Anna. Ends, yes, air quotes. They would have yeah, yeah. until the asteroid. You. I got you. And then in the Gene storyline. Yeah. The Gene one. Uh, he ends up with nobody. He ends up dead. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he doesn't get it. That's when he gets shot, right? Well, it's it's one that is out of spite to Elise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He gets shot in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
weird. I liked it. Yeah. I was like, I want to watch that movie. Yeah. Uh, that part where they were taking out in the woods actually gave me uh, Miller's Crossing. Uh, yeah. I yeah. thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Jonathan's uh, going to mention Miller's Crossing. Yeah, it definitely gave me Miller's Crossing buffs. Um, what did you actually think of? So, uh, f- film, well, what, what's your end thought on this film? Like, what what do you make of it? Um, What was real? What, was, what did he choose? What was reality? Was he a kid this whole time? Was he ever born? And he was looking at all the different... He was always different... a kid. Because one theory I saw was because he could see it all from the heavens view mm-hmm. when he was doing the interviews. He never went to Earth. He saw his whole life. Then he chose. He saw all the different scenarios. Then he chose which one. And we got to see all the different scenarios. Mm. Yeah. I think And he's... then one was him as a nine-year-old boy writing the story of the future and forecasting all the other ones and then the coma one is the other those are the three prevailing theories yeah i like the idea of him just being a nine-year-old so there is one there's the scene towards the beginning um where he has the premonition of the the car accident that his dad has mm-hmm. um where basically the emergency is just the uh, klutz yeah so the kid has like a model like scale of their neighborhood weirdo yeah but it's the car that whatever like i'm i envision the nine-year-old like playing out his life mm-hmm. in this way and yeah. the same way that the because he had the three girls on the bench and the scale model scale yeah. too and so i think the future version of himself it's just a version because when i once he once uh nemo kind of explains like it's up to the nine-year-old boy. Like we're just waiting for him to decide. These are all the possibilities. Yeah. Like this. But you're telling me this kid thought about sex in an abandoned. No, I'm not saying it's a real like real life. Like he's internally processing all these different things that happen. Like it is a theoretical possibility that is yet to be explored. It's, right. So it's, it it would be him baseline narrating out and then the film mm-hmm. maturing it as it would happen not necessarily the nine-year-old doing it yeah, okay. yeah i think so okay yeah I, I i'm on the i'm on all three i can see all three the case for me i'm still going with the coma <laughs> theory but i can also see the adult or the baby who sees everything before he chooses the family mm-hmm. and knows exactly what he's going to have to choose which is you know the big emphasis on not putting the i think something like that if that was if that were to be the case i think i'd be more frustrated because it's one of those like what's the point like yeah <laughs> you see me get a frito hit yeah <laughs> i had to get it i'll see what it was uh, get you some no i'm good it's bro. real good i'm good she's got some frito paul's heavy tonight i think uh no but i'm, I'm also laughing at just like the the idea of sometimes it's executed well and it, it doesn't matter but this whole i don't know the MacGuffin of like Oh, this whole thing was just a, a a dream type of thing. I don't know. It doesn't always hit in everything in this movie. I don't know. So what it do you think just, of? It was just thirty minutes too long. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain scenes I could cut out. Yeah. No. What do you think of Jared Leto? I thought there were moments where he was good. I did not like him as old man. Yeah. Like you said, we get that Joker laugh. Yeah. It just was it was comical. So the boy is born and raised in England or Europe or whatever. He has a British accent. 
but as an old man, he has no accent. Yeah. He just grew out of it. He just as a thirty-four as a thirty-four year old man, he has yeah. no accent. I used to think it was so cool when young people could do old man accents. Now, and now that I'm thirty-one, I can do an old man <laughs> accent. It's like, oh wow, that's not that hard. Yeah. No. Uh, no, I still I thought Jared Leto did pretty good, but I thought a lot of it was the same thing. So it's yeah. like he did really good, what he did really good at, and then it kind of mm-hmm. grows grinding. Yeah. I, I, but yeah, like I said, you get the Joker premonitions, and you also get some Michael Morbius vibes, uh, especially when he was on the homeless bench and stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is Michael Morbius from Morbius. Emo, emo haircut. Just, yeah. That's just Jared Leto. Like, no, I, I mean, I, I do like Jared Leto, and uh, you get some peak 30 Seconds to Mars and uh, Morbius and also uh, Joker here, so... Yeah, it's good. I, I love Mr. No Way. It's a four and a half star for me. Uh, it's held its rating for since 2000 and I think 12 when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. Um, I recommend it to anybody who likes weird out there movies. But it's also, I never noticed until this time how much of a love story it is. Yeah, which it's, again is surprising to me because you normally don't like love stories. Yeah, I like this one. I just dressed up in a kind of what I call a mind weird boner sci-fi. package. So I like a weird... A weird sci-fi movie. Uh, one guy actually on the reviews, I'll plug it, so I'm not just saying it. He uh, said, this movie is presented to me as a five-star, um, his flawed antagonist is the letterbox user's name. This movie is presented to me as a five-star propaganda film. It has everything I love. An elite soundtrack, a high-concept sci-fi film, a sad boy protagonist, a complex plot, maybe too complex, visually stunning, but slightly feels lacking in the emotional draw, but that's okay because I fell for it. And that last sentence is me. That's okay because I fell for it's it. Okay, yeah. Because this is my type of bait, and I took it and I run with it every time. Like every time yeah. I watch Mister Nobody, like this is the kind of film you watch once. I don't know anybody who's hated it that's seen it. Mm-hmm. But you're either like me and you love it, or Tanner and you love it, or you're like you and like uh, Dawson and like you know what? It was good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, one time watch for me. I don't have to see it again. Yeah, I don't hate it. Don't love it. It's just good. I honestly, I feel like if you recast Jared Leto. Possibly. I don't know who. I really don't know who. Especially 2009. Yeah, Johnny Depp. I mean, a Johnny Depp would be more convincing, I think, in different parts. But I feel like that's... I mean, Jared Leto is a Johnny Depp light type yeah. of thing. So, I don't know. Something... I love... You kind of explained this to me before. It was like, this is like a Benjamin Button type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, performance. And I just, you know, if Brad Pitt could can do it you know you yeah. think you're a little yeah. good um so yeah i don't know it's a one time for me no i'll revisit again in a couple of years and be Three happy stars you know yeah, that's a good rating yeah it's a good rating you've expanded your horizons i have and i'm a better man for it yeah i'm a better man because you recommended boogie nights i'd seen this film <laughs> one time back when i was in high school and i think now that i've seen it all the way through in a sitting i watched only the second half of it um Wow, Boogie Nights, what a great film. Yes. Paul Thomas Anderson here with, you know, Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, Heather Graham, William H. Macy, and fitting, Philip Seymour Hoffmore died mm-hmm. yesterday. This is anniversary, death anniversary. Yeah. And I watched this yesterday. So Yeah. Um, and then Louise Guzman. <laughs> those are your those are your biggest actresses. Um wait, Nina Hartley's in this? She's an yes. actual porn star. Yeah, she's. Uh, I know she's the wife. I just realized this. I'm yeah. looking at it. That's uh, that's wild. I did not know that. <laughs> um. Anyway, I was looking. I was like, that name sounds familiar. Wow. <laughs> oh, now you remember. Now I remember. Uh. Anyway. Uh. Wow. What a great film. 
Absolutely. What amazing. a great film. And I love any movie William H. Macy's I, in. I knew I and knew you would. Little Bill, man. His, his arc, you knew I you knew it was coming the whole time. Yes. But that murder suicide was great. Absolutely. Great. Love and it. the fact that it's just brushed over to it. Like, I'm it's glad just, we're just jumping right into yeah, this too. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> first thing I want to bring up. Like he just has to see his wife getting railed all the time, all the time, all the time. And like they're married and like it's one thing to get railed on camera, it's another thing just railing dudes all I the mean, time in general. You already have to deal with the 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 uh the complex that you you gain by just being called little Bill. All the time, mm-hmm. but to just com- to just be a complete and you ever watch Little Bill? Cook, like what? Yeah, uh, no, I did not. Okay, it was kind of after our generation, but yeah, but yeah, uh, Little Bill, he he went through it um, as most people do in this movie. A lot of people go yeah. through it. The only person who doesn't really go through it is John C. Riley. John C. I mean, Riley he goes through his, it, but he just he was living it though. Yeah, he kind of just he was along for the ride. Yeah, and by by proxy he just he had to deal with the other people's fallout more more than his should we should we get into the plot of this movie because yeah. it's it's yeah. pretty heavy yeah you go ahead and break it down for me uh so boogie nights is basically let's see what letterbox guys for it's just like quicker quick. i love older film synopsis i know <laughs> they I crack it. me up this was like a novel the life of a dreamer <sighs> the days of a business and the nights in between set in 1977 back when sex was safe did you know sex was safe yeah, uh, that's how you say that. Freddie Mercury was in Magic Johnson. We're getting AIDS. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, pleasure was a business, and business was booming. Idealistic porn producer Jack Horner aspires to elevate his craft to an art form. Horner discovers Eddie Adams, a hot young talent working as a busboy in a nightclub, and welcomes him into into the extended family of movie makers, misfits, and uh, hangers on that are always around. Adam's rise from nobody to a celebrity adult entertainer is meteor. Uh, meteor. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and soon the whole world seems to know his porn alter ego, Dirk Diggler. Now when disco and drugs are in, in vogue, fashion is in flux and the party never seems to stop. Adam's dream of turning sex into stardom are about to collide with cold, hard reality. Cold, what hard. an amazing synopsis. Yes, that one is good. That one you understand. You'd <laughs> leave nothing to the imagination. So, first of all, we're introduced to Mark Wahlberg, a very young Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I actually had to go to his filmography to make sure that this wasn't his first film, which it's it, not. Yeah. It's like, Six film. Yes. But he looks so young in this movie. Absolutely. But I think they do a really good job because I feel like towards the end of this, he he's aged up. Oh, yeah. In some ways. He's been through it, man. Um, But yeah, you get a really young 17-year-old, uh, Eddie Adams, working as a busboy. Mm-hmm. Um, At a hot tracks nightclub. Yes. Uh, that is, uh, you a know. Porn star frequented. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's spotted. Um. And yeah, is immediately he 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 has he has it set in his mind that um, he is going to be a porn star, basically. Uh, well, not until Jack Horner talks to him. No, he I th- is it no because him? he you know because he which oh before I so, forget so the conversation Jack with Horner the girlfriend I knew I'd heard this damn name before yeah Puss in Boots the main villain John Mulaney is Jack Horner Big Jack Horner I even went to the letterbox to make sure it was the same thing that makes me appreciate puss in boots so much more that the the character's name is jack horner but the there's a kids um i know oh but the fact that jack horner goes yes yeah because they kept showing his big thumb and i was like yes 
This is funny. I swear <laughs> they did this on purpose. I had a great time thinking about that. Anyway. Yes. Uh, no, yeah. because he Jack, Burt, Burt Reynolds goes and talks to him in the kitchen after he spots just how good looking he is. Yeah. And then, you know, he was like. He comes to find out he has a massive cock. Yeah. And Mark Wahlberg's like, you know, <laughs> 10 bucks to watch me jack it, five bucks just to look at it. Yeah. But I don't think he was try aspiring for a career in porn. I think he was there for a reason. I think he was trying to get. No, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I didn't get that vibe. If he wasn't, if he wasn't there to be a porn star, he was he was there to to get some, on the the now that, that possibility to get some that I can see. Okay, um, he's basically he is a seventeen year old kid who, I guess, has just dropped out of school. Um, he has a girlfriend after he's met Jack Horner and after he's kind of been exposed to this possibility of of being a star. Jack Horner kind of talks with him and it's just like you know, kid, you could you, you could be great. Um, come with me, and he's like, oh, I've got you know, a family got a mom and a dad, which we find out his mom is absolutely terrible. Um, yeah, it yeah, is. His mom sucks. It, it's, we come to find out. I totally thought the dad was like going to beat the hell out of the mom during oh, that scene no. in the room. No, but. you basically, no, the, the dad is anyways, the, uh, the scene where he's with his girlfriend, um, and he basically, explains or she she says you're so good at having sex i just want to have sex with you all the time uh he says you know i just came up with my memories that's hilarious Sorry. um he uh he basically explain explains like everybody's given one good thing like one thing they're good at yeah and this is my, my <laughs> thing and my i'm dick. gonna be the best at it mm -hmm. and that's what he aspires to be um yeah i uh i which leads him to going back home. Um, it, it is, you get a, a look into kind of what his, his life is. He's just, you're, he's just a kid Dropped out of high school. Yeah. He's just a kid. Yeah. Uh, um, doesn't know what he wants to do. His mom's with an overbearing, overbearing mother. Mom. Yeah. Wow. Well, both of us ready to drop yeah. overbearing out there. It was, it was pretty alcoholic mom. Doubly. I, well, everything that shows she's drinking and smoking. So I'm going to assume based on her, how she's acting, yeah. she's like, Mentally unstable and also alcoholic. That's just how I read into it. It doesn't go out. But I also, but also think there's like the double standard of like, oh, you're gonna act that way, but she loses her shit all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like. I think this movie doesn't waste any time. Like you're like in the opening scenes, basically. Burt Reynolds is like, hey, I am a classy porn maker, and I want you to be in my films. So he, I love how Jack Horner kind of explains how he makes porn. Yes. Um. He he describes it as. Um, well, he, he describes other porn being, you know, people think they just want to basically unload mm -hmm. and just get <laughs> up and leave. He's like, I want to make something that is so compelling that once you unload, you just have to sit there in it because you're so enthralled sit in, there the, in it. Oh. You're so enthralled in the story that's being told. Yeah. Um, which Jack, Jack has just had this, he has this vision to, to be an artist, which which is why he's drawn to uh, Eddie because Eddie, yes, he is good at having sex, but in his mind, he thinks he is a movie star in his room. He has, you know, his big celebrity inspiration. Al well, no, it was um, Bruce Lee. Well, the, it, what are you talking It was uh, Bruce Lee. No, he has a picture of Al Pacino, but there is a montage a collage, I mean, 
a collage. But of the biggest Bruce poster Lee. in the room was Serpico. I'm telling you, it's Bruce Lee. That's why he does the karate stuff. That's yeah, why he gets okay. his haircut the way he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Bruce right. Lee. But he has a big Serpico poster. He does. It's always caught my eye. I know. But but that just goes to the eat like the the persona though. That plays more into yeah, okay. like the So yeah, um Eddie has a big altercation with his mom who basically kicks him out, sends him to Jack, and that's when we get our first like real pool party experience, which I think is an amazing John the John setting. C. Riley, like how much you squat and then changes it, how much you oh. bench press. Like their their dynamic, which I didn't know John C. Riley was really around back then. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like my, my first introduction to John C. Riley was like the uh, Step Brothers, Walk Yeah, the hard. Adam McKay stuff. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. I don't remember really much of Cyrus. I don't remember much of Adam, uh, John C. Riley before that. I love John C. Riley here. He's great. And the only person I wish we got more of that we didn't get more of was Philip Moffat's Seymour character. Because Scotty felt like... I. That, that is actually the reason I don't have it as a five-star reason. I feel like that was one thread mm-hmm. that they started to pull and then left alone. I think in at the time the movie was released... I think it was probably too much, which they kind of get into that. So I think it's, I think it's, it's like with the car beating. Or yes. the, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I put those together. I just, they don't do anything meaningful with Scotty after that scene though. Well, I think the fact that he's still around, like he chose to go around with them. Sure. But like, I don't know. I see him. No. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to think after Scotty kind of makes a move on dirt. Yeah, kind of makes after, a move. He just really, straight kisses him. Well, after he makes a move on dirt, I was trying to think because he kind of like has a moment where he's kind of losing it in the car. Um, he's still he's still hanging around after that. Freaking idiot! Freaking There's so much idiot, in this movie, freaking man. Idiot! How we haven't even really got into. I mean, what else do we need to hit to really talk about this movie? Well, you think? Uh, let's just do a brief synopsis, like because we keep we talk about another like yeah two seconds in, then we break it down. Like yeah. you could do that. We could be here for hours. I know. So after Mark Wahlberg gets kicked out of his house, he runs to Jack Horner. Does like, all right, fine, I'll do porn. He pairs him up with his wife. He ends up he, not his wife. That's not Julianne Moore's not, his, not wife. his wife. She just, just lives there. They are oh, not together. I thought they were together this whole time, no. which also bugged me because I thought he was gonna. I was waiting for the jealousy arc at some point. Yeah, but, no. Jack Horner is a free man. Okay. Um. Anyway, so he paired him up with his main girl, though. Yeah, not his, but you know what I mean. Like they're her, it's his they're muse. leading. Yeah, his they're leading his leading porn star Julianne Moore through the first scene. It's a huge hit. Dirk Diggler was his porn name. He chooses huge success. Yeah, they want to see his giant cock. You know, so he's good with it. He's good with it. So you know, Roller Girl, Heather Graham, she's a big part of it. Julianne Moore, whatever her Amber Waves, I think was her name. Yeah, uh, she's in it. And then you have the supporting characters, which is John C. Riley's character and. Uh, Buck. We forgot about Buck. I was gonna say John Cheadle's Buck. Yeah, uh, which you don't see a lot of his porn stuff, but you know he he wants to open a stereo store. Yeah, uh, but he's also like low key redneck country boy for the first half of the film. Then he switches to his actual demographic. He wants to have a he's an actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these guys that are in the porn aren't really looking to do porn. They want to be actors, but get yes. cut it in the acting world. Um. So anyway, the majority of the film follows. The quick success he goes, Mark Wahlberg goes from nothing to something, winning all these like Oscars for porn and all like adult entertainer yes. awards, all this other stuff. Eventually, it goes to his head because as time goes on, uh, Tom, uh, Burt Reynolds's character, uh, Jack finds an up and coming star. It taught Mark Wahlberg feels threatened well, by it. So, uh, Jack doesn't find a star. Oh. The, the colonel 
who is like the producer of all this stuff. Yeah, who ends up being a pedophile. He, yeah, well, he brings in he brings in uh this this um like blockbuster video kind of guy. Yeah, he he basically brings in someone that is basically saying if you want to make a profit, you have to start doing everything tape. Which Jack is a film at guy. He is he is a Nolan guy. Yeah, he's at first for very very not just reluctant. Like if you get out of my face, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's 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 resistant to that and which. But to make money to continue to do it, he continues to go on and make basically uh, lower tier movies. Uh, Dirk uh, gets a uh, coke addiction out of all this, uh, which causes a crystal which, addiction, which causes him to spiral, um, causing a confrontation between him and Jack, making him run off. Um, and nobody wants it. Everybody's nobody, mad. Yeah. Um, so, which leaves us um, leaves Dirk with. Uh, um, Reed, John C. Riley's character. Uh, I think it's Reed. I can't think of uh, Chesterton or whatever they call Reed Rockchester. Reed Rockchester. It's Reed Rothschild. Reed Rothschild. Yes. What was uh, his name in the Buck? Uh, that video, the like action. Brocklander and uh, Chestwell. Yeah, maybe something. Brock Chestwell. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyways. Him and another character that were introduced in the second act, towards the end of the Thomas second Jane's act. character. Tom, yeah. Uh, um, I don't remember his name. He has an amazing mustache. Oh, yeah, it's mean. But he is a, he's a stripper, male stripper. Um, and so after um, Dirk is um, out of porn, he's a left jack and all that. He's tried to pursue a music career. Um, it's absolutely terrible. It's it's a perfect example of, it. of people that think they're amazing trying to trying to do stuff that they otherwise shouldn't. Um, but they've just they've. I need I need those two songs, <laughs> especially the one they were recording on the uh, where John apparently so does Dirk. So does Dirk. Yeah, <laughs> but no. he can't get it. Robert Downey uh, Jr.'s dad, the jerk. That was who? Robert Downey Sr. Huh? The guy who they were cornered in the yeah. corner wouldn't give him. Yeah. Wow. I, I had to pause it because like that guy looks so familiar. Why do I know his face? Oh yeah. Robert Downey Sr. Um so after they form this uh uh this addiction or whatever, they decide that they're gonna try to rob a uh a drug dealer. Yep. Um which is Alfred Molina, which was a surprise. Absolutely that was a amazing. Shock. Love That's that. a great a really skinny Alfred <laughs> because Molina. I don't I try not to look at any letterbox stuff anymore while I'm watching a movie unless yeah. it's like something specific and then I just go to yeah. there because after Mulholland Drive I got ruined on a huge plot point because I looked at the, yes uh, uh, Thomas Shane played Todd Parker I was trying to find his name gotcha uh, so yeah they basically decide they're going to try to steal from uh, Alfred Molina's character and shocker it goes terribly wrong um, which causes Jack or um, Dirt to run away and come back to um, Jack. Uh, meanwhile, Jack, um, up until this point, uh, was basically doing nothing but amateur stuff. Business was moving, mm -hmm. but there was no inspiration. Um, it leads to an altercation in a uh, limo where they're basically trying to pick up strangers off the side of the road. Fake taxi. Yeah, uh, fake taxi to... Uh, I love how that's just a common I know. Everybody knows what that is. That's how, that's how messed up our world it is. It is absolutely <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Um, some but could Abby say would listen to that and be like what's fake taxi that's how yeah. just amazing my wife is and so the guy that they picked up happened to know roller girl and mm -hmm. uh it was the guy from her classroom yes it's one of the yeah, yeah one of the guys whenever she was trying like to the, yeah going yep. and so 
that you have an altercation there. The best scene in this movie, though, is the donut shop. Oh, uh, where the the holdup? So Don Cheadle. So, which you noticed, like all. So you had, you had the um, fake taxi scene. Basically, mm-hmm. you had that. Um, Dirk is to the point before he runs back to Jack that um, he is needing money and everything. He he basically is getting picked up by gay men um, who, who you think are gay men and is basically jacking off in front of them for money. Yeah. Cause he's um, at rock bottom, but it comes to come to find out that these men are um, trying to um, corner gay dudes, gay dudes and basically beat them. Um, terrible. And um, so they beat up Dirk and run away after they pull out, you see the, the limo pass the same spot. And then, and then you see Buck pull into this donut shop, which is one of the, it, it is Tarantino esque. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that scene. Buck walks in, you find out um, that was the love story I was most invested in was him. And what's her name? Um, Ashley. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jesse. J- Jesse. Okay. Yeah. Cause she actually liked Dirk. She made all those paintings for him. For yes. A while, and whenever he, he moved on, he, he saw Buck yeah. and his new uh, persona. Yeah. Um, and so, he goes in for some donuts. A uh, guy comes in for uh, uh, to to steal uh, the register. So from the register, has a gun pulled on Buck and the and the register, and this you know looks like a trucker dude who's obviously carrying pulls out a gun, shoots the guy that's holding him up, and uh, causes the uh, causes the guy that's holding the place up to shoot the guy that just shot him, causing that guy to shoot again, the guy behind the register who shoots straight through the back of his head. And I was brains. literally watching that and I was like, man, I saw this somewhere. I thought it was hilarious. It was the machine. That trailer. <laughs> yes. I was like, I just saw this recently. Now I know where the machine got that inspiration. Yeah. From. And brains and everything fly on buck. Um, he, he, he's going there because uh, he was trying to get a loan to start his own high five uh, stereo business. And uh, did not get the the loan that he needed, um, so they were they were going to <laughs> they were going to pick up some donuts to help the uh, help help uh, ease the pain of all that. But yeah. after everybody in the store died, after all the money had been taken out of the safe, he decides he's going to take the money and start his business. Yeah, um, all this which it doesn't show. You just yeah, assume. all this happens at the same time. Actually, I guess it technically does show. Technically. Yeah. Um, all this happens at the same time. Um, Dirk finally finds his way back to Jack. And um, you basically have this moment of, of you know, reunion. Uh-huh. Everybody's back doing their thing. Um, and is honestly just one big happy family. Um, Dirk's back at uh, doing his thing. We finally get a cock reveal. At the very end, yeah, I was waiting for it the whole time. Finally and got it. Uh, I forget, I tell you, I, I had for, to Google. I, I felt so stupid. Let's see if I can find it. It's a Steve Zahn White Lotus moment, like for real. It happens. It's on your screen. You're like, what in the heck is happening? Um, it is. It's 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 quite something. My my Google search at eleven fifty eight p.m. Is Mark Wahlberg's penis really that big? Yeah. Search. Then that's where I found a press tour where he was doing for Father's Two, and he said that's the one movie he regrets from his filmography. Mm. He wish he never filmed it, never filmed that scene. No, that movie. Well, he, he said makes... he said he said he knows his daughter's seen it, 
Oh my God. And like he said, I just, I have regret for that one. He said, it's not something I want my kids to watch. I'm not adult. He's basically saying I'm an adult. I've had some life changes since then. Looking back on it, I kind of regret that one. And then they said, well, do you still have it? And like, yes, but I don't display it proudly. He said, I'm pretty sure he said it's in a safe somewhere locked up in the house. Can't say that you regret it. And And then still still, have a prosthetic penis. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's that's Boogie Nights, man. Boogie Nights is great, man. I loved Boogie Nights. Uh, you cannot emphasize the one of the best scenes I've seen in a film is the drug dealer scene where they go into Alfred Molina's house. Loved all of yeah. that. Fantastic. Uh, I, I, the scene where Buck is selling, trying to sell that first eight track. <laughs> And he starts playing the country music. The country I, was like, I laughed at that more than I should have. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I want to talk about because I never finished Circle Back. The Scotty stuff irritated me. Obviously, from the first time you see Scotty, obviously Scotty's gay. And you obviously just put the two in together that he's going to be gay for dirt. You just, oh, yeah. You just know that from well, the it, first time he's introduced to Scotty. Yeah, you just understand that. Try to hide it. Straight to, to yeah, him. Straight to the point. I saw the whole movie. I was waiting for the kiss. You knew, or honestly, I was, my mind was going darker. Yeah. I thought he was going to drug him and rape him or something oh, and film God. it. Hey, you never know. It's, I don't know. But yeah. it didn't happen. But that's where my mind was going. Um, kissing, Mark Wahlberg freaks out, obviously, but tries to maintain, like, hey, we're cool, we're cool, we're cool. But, like, what the hell, Scotty, you know? Yeah. Then that's it. Well, yeah, because I think overall, I think. A, I think Dirk is is chill about it. Um, I think it's safe to say that he probably knew type of thing. That he's gay. Yeah. But just, yeah. And um, as we know, Dirk is not one to um, See, I feel like he shy didn't away. know. I think he was oblivious. I, so, yes, that is that is the bigger thing to this movie that I probably would have enjoyed enjoy talking about if um, is the idea that Dirk is just a complete child. Yep. He's completely oblivious to everything in life. Um, he basically is drawn to this band of misfits of family because mm-hmm. a Julianne Moore is absolutely amazing in this movie. Yep. Um, and she, but she plays this mother. Which is why we should watch all the Todd Haynes movies. She's got, she's in yeah, every she's Todd in a Haynes lot of them. That's a muse. Um, and you know, she just, uh, she plays this mother figure. Mm-hmm. Literally, literally, yes. Um, and which is a weird kink, but vice versa. We find out Julianne Moore's, um, Amber's son is she doesn't have custody of him and wants to see him, and so she's drawn to Eddie in the uh, in the fact that you know she wants to be paternal to him, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's just even more obvious whenever him and Reed are, you know, it's just the funny like toxic masculinity stuff that we see now like mm-hmm. that you see that is just it's so funny um i think paul thomas anderson is is absolutely brilliant so where does this one rate in your paul thomas anderson is it better than licorice pizza <sighs> yeah absolutely um cuz this is late 70s 80s um i think licorice pizza is like a once upon a time in the 70s type of thing like it's just a timeline encapsulated. I think this is a deeper character study. Um, and I think it tells a, tells, tells a better story. Um, 
man, I don't know. It's there's just a lot there. We yeah. can talk about it for a while, but I know we've already talked about a lot of stuff. So yeah, so I, much more. I enjoyed this movie. Favorite favorite performer. <sighs> I mean, of the movie or in role? I would say in the movie, your favorite performer, John C. Riley. Okay, for me, I think it would probably be Don Cheadle, the butt character. Oh, just the character? Well, I mean, they went like in their porn films. <laughs> what? I was like, yo, John C. Riley loved his character. Stupid. It's like he was, you know, great. Uh, if that's the case, well, I mean, I William H Macy stole the show for me. Yeah. He had a few poems, but every we time didn't he even, did. Yeah, we didn't even really talk about that, but I mean, that's we, fine. we basically did. We did in the very He's beginning. He's a sound guy whose wife keeps getting boned by people and he kills her yes. and he kills himself. He, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, most surprising, like you didn't expect to be just kind of enthralled with. Probably Don Cheadle. Yeah. Because I expected Don Cheadle to have, A, a much bigger, more serious role. Yeah. And then he got this... Texas cowboy and yeah. full full reversal to st- honestly selling out to like a stereotype he doesn't really believe in. I think ultimately, yeah, he he never wants to say he's a porn star. He's he's an actor. Yeah, so you know he just turns into chameleon and changes yeah. into what he needs to do to sell the stereo. So yeah, no, uh, Boogie Nights is fantastic. It's a new upper upper tier favorite for me. So it's a good recommendation. I'm f- I'm full of them. Should we move on to the? I guess the main event. Yeah. Our topic. We're leading, we're leading on the title with Barbie and Oppenheimer. All right. And then it'll, then it'll be Mr. Nobody Boogie Nights. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even though Boogie Nights is objectively a better film than Mr. Nobody, I'm saying. Yeah. I, I know this. Uh, let's start with Barbie. Let's start with how we watched them. Yes. So our, now our here's your warning. Experience. Spoilers. Full spoilers are coming your way. I don't know how any other ways to talk about it as no. a topic or two without Just saying that. turn so. it off. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you later. But most people, if you're listening, if you're a film person, you've seen them by now anyway. All right, Barbie. What a freaking great film. And every Absolutely aspect, great. what did you end up rating it? Uh, four stars. Five for me. You're the, you're the lowest rating of everybody who went to salt. Kyle even gave it five stars. And that's yeah, Kyle. I know. So I think you pressured Kyle in the five. I didn't, I, Kyle barely used his letterbox. I was I shocked know. he logged it. He had to log he it. We all saw it together. He gave him both five. Wow. Yeah. Well, one's, one's obvious. Yeah, yeah. I give it four. Um, what was lacking from this film? Not give it a five. I think, first of all, what I loved about this movie, Barbie Land. You done this movie strictly in Barbie Land? Five star movie. Really? Totally. Um, conceptually, I think it's absolutely amazing. The execution was great. Um, take it into the real world, which I get. Part of that is is that's the point type yeah. of thing. Um, I hated the Mattel scenes. Um, see, I loved the cubicle scene. I heard... Where they're chasing everybody through there. See, I love that. I heard I heard something uh, just the other day that it was basically... When I heard it, it clicked and was very on brand. It was a uh, Hudsucker proxy, but not funny. Like the whole vibe was of funny? it when it Mattel, that whole Mattel scene. Oh, I love it even like more. Like the now. whole sequence. That's the, not now. I have it a whole new appreciation. It was Hudsucker proxy, but just not funny. Um, yeah, I just didn't see the point. Um, I know the I know in theory that the idea of a Barbie like figment, uh, figurative like Barbie land, 
um, gaining access to the real world and how that affects this mega corporation and how they handle business as usual. I don't know. It was just super weird. Um, whenever the FBI calls the Mattel thing yeah. and the FBI place seems more um, homey and like lived in compared to the Mattel corporate thing, you could tell that obviously they're being very tongue in cheek about yeah. it all, but I don't know. It didn't work for me. Um, and then you had a car chase that was just a Chevy commercial. Um, <laughs> yeah. They even do the push the boost thing. And it was like, I don't know. I expected some weird Imagine Dragon song to come on and I'm then just be a commercial. Happen. That would have been a whole half star. But that's what it felt like. Um, but you get through all that and you get back to the to Barbie land. Like it was great. See, I I mean, it all it all worked for me. The whole the whole uh, Ryan Gosling going into the library, finding the patriarchy. That the was a, that was one of the things that worked for me in the beginning. Like him doing the, this at the stair when he's watching that guy dismiss that woman. Yes, and then he does it. The sass that Ryan Gosling had in this film is just <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, which I mean, synopsis: Margot Rob. It's a bunch of bunch of Barbies. They live in Barbie land, similar to Toy Story. They're getting played with. They're happy, and then as they get played with more rough, they become weirder and weirder, and they project what their kids do. Okay. Yeah. Um, and apparently Barbies can get free into the real world. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, but they can. And Barbie goes on a soul quest. Ken tags along. Um, they get found out that they're there from the FBI. And then Will Ferrell and the Mattel Corporation try to track them down and put them back in the box, send them back to Barbie land. So all is well in the world. America Ferreira and her daughter are the two main people in the world. America Forever works for Mattel. Her daughter hates Barbie and everything that it does for the Set the Women Feminism Act back. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, American Forever is the reason that Barbie is weird. Mm -hmm. She's been playing with a Barbie and like drawing weird designs. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Margot Robbie as Barbie ends up bringing unity to the family again, showing them that as women, they can conquer the world. Ryan Gosling goes back to Barbie land, uh, brings back all this new info that men rule the real world. And brings the Mojo Dojo Casa House to life. Uh, and Barbie and them come back in horror and realize, oh, wow, Barbie Land's changed is now Kingdom. So uh, they have to fight to get it back. Uh, they turn the Kins against each other and they vote to take over Barbie Land again and de, de brainwash the other Barbies to come back to reality. And that's when they take advantage of the Kins and then vote to take it back. And now you got it. Figured it out. So there's the plot of the film, hurried up. So now we can just talk about the movie. Let's I, do it. I, I didn't want to really discuss the whole plot because the plot is fine. You kind of get okay. it from the trailer. Uh, what do you think of Margot Robbie? Uh, stellar. I've now fully circle changed my mind on Margot Robbie from about time 47 episodes ago. And what about Ryan Gosling? These are both two people. Yeah. Uh, this movie alone, I am still jury out on all of Ryan Gosling's collective work. <laughs> I, no, I think I said he's a good actor. But he's never just wowed me. But his to say range is probably wrong here. But like I, I look at this and I look at like use the notebook, for example, like just the fact that that's the same person is mind blowing to me. I'm going to say something. OK. And you can hold me to this 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. We're still doing this. Yeah. Or we're just hanging around. Yeah. Ryan Gosling will have a Nick Cage style career. I would appreciate that more. I, he does. He does some crazy stuff. Yeah, but ninety nine percent of it. No, is, let's get something straight. Cage is cage. No one will. There will never no, no, be no, I, another. I know. You're, you're cage. talking about the type of roles he takes on. 
Yes. But probably not as B tier. But, but he has range mm-hmm. like Cage. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Nick which, Cage Barbie would have been dope. Which I'm just saying, I only say Kim. that because I there's no reason that you shouldn't like Ryan Gosling. I don't dislike him. I never said I dislike the guy. I said I think he's overrated. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm jury still out on that, but I loved him in this role. My favorite yeah, Ryan Gosling great. role. He was fantastic here. It's not my favorite. Oh, it's my favorite. Nice guy is still my favorite. I, I do like the nice guy. Yeah. my second yeah. Uh, which has got a huge uptick in viewership, which is a win right now. Oh my god, we need two. Yeah. So um anyway, yeah, Ryan Gosling is incredible in here. Uh he gives one of the best com- no, no, the best comedic performance this year. Yeah. This is the best comedy of the year by a long shot. Better than no hard feelings, better than the machine, better than the blackening, better than uh I just recently watched another comedy. Do you remember what they it was? They clone Tyrone. That's eh, not really a comedy. Really? No, I mean, it has its comedic elements, but... uh, Bro, I just watched another comedy. Asteroid City. I consider that a comedy. Wouldn't you? Uh, Yeah. So, anyway, uh, it's definitely the funny. I laughed out loud, goodness gracious, a ton the (laughs) first time, and I laughed out loud at the exact same things the second time around. Yeah. The last time I had... And this is one of my all-time favorite comments. This is super high praise. The first time I've said it out loud. The last time I've laughed at a movie this hard and this consistently was Anchorman. Wow. Like, I'm not saying that in 10 years I'm going to say this is as, it's not, it won't be. I, I mean, I think there will be people that will say this though. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, like, I mean, this, I will watch this movie again probably before it leaves theater, three time yeah. theater, maybe four. Like, I love Barbie. It's great. It's going to be one of my new favorite rotation film movies. Like, my, like, yeah. when I talk about a comfort film yeah. in the future, like, those are the films that I have on Letterboxd. Those are like my films that I can always go to and watch and, just make me feel good. Yeah. Is that your tummy? That was a little uh, implosion. Yeah. Barbie is one of those films. So 10 out of 10, enjoy the film. It's great. The musical, the I'm just Ken. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that song on repeat. Like, I, I can't believe it. Yeah. It's great. There was, well, well they released, it, I guess, a couple days before the movie came Which out. I did not watch the video. I didn't or watch it either. I'm so yeah. thankful because. Um, I guarantee, though, they did it so that when that movie hits, like it was like people are screaming it. Yeah. In the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which again goes into how amazing they marketed this movie. Yep. Um, I mean, they just completely knocked out of the park. Um, yeah, there's not much. There's not much else to say. I loved um, underrated performance of this was uh, obviously Michael Sarah. Uh, Alan. Alan was, Alan was great. I, Caitlin called me immediately after um, we were talking about it. Um, she saw it the same night that we saw it. She saw it with some friends mm-hmm. and, uh, she was mad at me because I didn't like, I wasn't super crazy about it, which I, which that's like over, like over, um, dramatizing. Right? Yeah. I liked the movie. I enjoyed it. I will rewatch this before I rewatch Oppenheimer. Same. Um, but well, actually, I don't know because I gotta go see what that would be. Yeah. But I, my point being was, um, yeah, I just, whatever. Uh, so Caitlin was upset. She was like, oh, you're just, you're such a kin. It's like, no, if anything, I'm an Alan. I don't know if you're an Alan. I wouldn't say you're an Alan. What makes an Alan? Alan's gay. Alan's not gay. I think Alan's bah. I don't think that was the case. I think Alan's bah. <laughs> okay. I never picked up on that. I think Alan's bi, man. 
So I know I don't think you're Alan. Okay. Anyway, continue. No, I I mean <laughs> I think Alan just represented a version of men that didn't buy into the, closeted men that didn't buy into the toxic masculinity that the kids did. What was the original question? Um, who did you relate with? Yeah. No, because Caitlin, no, said, under, Caitlin said I was underrated such a performance or like yeah, underrated like your, Michael Sarah. Yeah. Cause it was hilarious. That fight scene was brilliant. Yes, it was. That was it. It's midnight. No one's answering the phone. <laughs> Why are you calling people? <laughs> No, stop calling people after midnight. His uh, last one and someone answers. You never know. Uh, for me, the yeah. other four is actually American Ferrera. Well, Will Ferrell and American Ferrera. America Ferrera, not American Ferrera. Yes. That's a, that's a, that's a candy brand. Uh, America Ferrera. Her mom, she had two actually really good monologues. She had one at the end with her daughter. She also had the one in the yeah, one uh, in the car. Yeah, one in the car. Both really good. Uh, it was nice to have her. America Ferrera has been around forever. Yeah. I've really kind of fallen off. May not be right. I may not be familiar with the work, but uh, I thought she was really good in here and went toe to toe um, with everybody on screen, which will have Mm -hmm. another one of those in Oppenheimer. You go. They're going to be like, dang, they're recording late tonight. Uh, But no, I thought America Ferrera was great. And the other one I thought was uh, really good was Will Will Ferrell. Uh, Will Ferrell had a very support role. Uh, and I thought every time he was on screen, they used Will Ferrell to Will Ferrell's strengths. They didn't try to make him be overly dramatic. They didn't make him try to be over funny. They just made him be Will Ferrell. You saw what Will Ferrell does. Like he, I thought he was the perfect. Was his character needed? No, but I thought it was perfect. And I, it, to me, it added a lot of laughs and perfection. But the best joke in the film was Helen Mirren, where where Margot Robbie was going on about how she's. You know how Barbies just aren't, you know, how she doesn't feel pretty, you know, yeah. whatever. And then Helen Mirren was like, well, maybe we want to take you seriously. Don't cast Margot Robbie as Barbie, you know? Yes. Oh, which also felt like a shot at Amy Schumer a little bit too, but, uh, yeah. But no. Okay. John Barbie Cena was, was one surprise. I wish I didn't see spoiled for me. Yeah. I knew he was in the film and I wish I would have never seen what he was because the moment I saw that he was a mermaid, I was like, oh, that'll be funny. And then it just didn't have the same it impact. It didn't have the same effect. But I would have died like the, a lot of people in the audience did when John Cena came up playing the ukulele. I would have thought that was the funniest yeah. thing on the planet. Um, and similarly, Liu, yes. uh, whatever. I thought he was good for what he did. Um, he's yeah. Very charismatic. Didn't have a lot of speaking parts, but it just makes me realize that dude if given the right role, can really, yeah. I think, shine outside of Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's good in Shang-Chi and stuff, but like, I like... Oh, yeah, wh- you've seen him in Kim's Convenience. Mm-mm. You never watched King Convenience? Mm-mm. Yeah, watch it. But I like him in this yeah. a lot. Um, wait, is that part of a Barbie thing? Kim Convenience? Kim's Convenience? Kim's. I they say Kim. No, Kim's Convenience. It's like a Korean... Uh, uh, it, it's basically like a office type. Do you know he's in the first Pacific Room? Simu? Yeah. Oh. I, mean, I was looking at his discography here or filmography here. Yeah. Yeah, Barbie's amazing. And uh we should probably move on to yeah, Oppenheimer. I, because I, yeah, I, was, I, was I, I can here. I can tell you waning. You're you're waning. I'm not waning, I'm reading. You're re- oh. I was looking at Simu Lee's discography uh, dang it, not filmography. filmography <laughs> to see. Um and I'm looking at all the other actors, make sure I'm not missing anybody. 
Uh, I'm not. Um, yeah, I love Barbie. Barbie's fantastic. I the it, it is a acid dream of pink, uh, which so I love the visual aesthetic of it. That's yeah. right up my alley. Every time they throw some clothing out, they do the product, you mm-hmm. know, branding, whatever. It's, and it's great. Obviously, I can't get, I can't talk about this movie without mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Margot Robbie. Yeah. Not in the way Dawson would mention Margot Robbie. Which the boy needs help. Dawson has like a yeah. obsession, not in like a creepy stalker way, but like a unhealthy, I love Margot Robbie in every way possible way, mm-hmm. but not in a creepy way. I want to emphasize, it's not creepy. It's just like how I used His to be about Instagram. Hayden Panettiere. His Instagram when I was stories not. would say different. Yeah. Uh, but no, anyway, Margot Robbie's feet, man, yeah. they have a lot of screen time. And, in the first half, for sure. And me and Tarantino ate that up. Um, you know what a lot of people were eating up though? Same day? Uh some atomic vision. Florence Pugh's titties. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh anyway, yeah. Uh Barbie is fantastic. Greta Gerwig, you wanted to mention Narnia. Dude. Before we move on from Barbie. We could have picked it up later, but I figured why we're talking about. I th- talking about. Yeah, no, I think it's really impressive what Greta Gerwig's able to do um with such a commercialized like IP um, and now she's going to be able to basically do it again with uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I'll be interested to see just because Gerwig's track record. Also, it's already on her um, letterboxed. Uh, Chronicles? Uh, two of the first two. Yeah. I didn't know that. I think um, I don't know. I'm a little skeptic to Chronicles of Narnia is going to be tricky. It's like Lord of the Rings. They're like the, the fandom is very ravenous and in this case very conservative in some sense and i think well looking at the executive producers and stuff yeah they're the same ones from the original so i think there's okay. gonna be bumpers yeah yeah so i good. think they'll give her creative freedom creative creative freedom, creative yeah, freedom yeah. up to changing making it what i'm gonna use a trigger word here woke yeah they're i don't, not gonna, I don't not even gonna think do that. i don't even think greta gerwig is woke. i don't either I like think barbie like freaking greta gerwig doesn't make ben shapiro coming out watching barbie that whole thing idiot yes I, I identify as a conservative person yeah i don't identify with that like that's well, ridiculous so there was one point where the people some people us i seem were making the big deal of the whole genitalia thing it was a joke because there were dolls. What, the penis and vagina joke? Yes. Dude, you literally have Christian parents all over the United States. And it's not a bad thing. Me and Abby haven't decided we're going to do yeah, pilot, yeah. but like teaching your kids from a responsible age yeah. that penis, vagina, like not like a funny joke about yeah. it. Like, so that way, like if there is an issue, like, hey, this man touched my vagina, that's going to get somebody's attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not, oh, he touched my hee hee. Yeah. Ugh. Well, whenever the, they have the construction <laughs> worker moment, like what you've got down there or whatever, oh, yeah. and it's like, oh, I've got a blob there. It like making that whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a it. It was just Greta Gerwig is an amazing uh, director. And you can't also forget that Noah Bombash. No, yeah, uh, had a big part in this film yeah. as well. Uh, and what a great pairing those two are. Awesome. Like they're great. I hope he helped. Please helps with Narnia too. Yeah. So anyway, that's enough Barbie talk. Uh, for me, it's yeah. I mean, I, it's five stars for me. I don't know. There's literally nothing else I personally could have wanted from this film that wouldn't just be like just personal. Like if I was director, I'd do this, but I'm not a director. Yeah. Like it, it, it checked every box I want. I had a great time with it. Uh, what also checked every box I wanted, I had a great time with, and I much 
sadder way or heavier way was Oppenheimer. So we did the full Barbenheimer experience. We walked into IMAX right after Barbie and went and saw Oppenheimer. Uh, and this was a three hour kick in the gut. Uh, it was indeed. Uh, like, how do you even begin to talk about this film without just I, like. I don't think you can. You just have to explain. Like, kind I don't of, even, you don't even have to explain the plot. We so, all know what the plot of Oppenheimer is. Yeah. And the device in which they kind of try to tell the story is totally different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Which like Robert Downey Jr. It's a lot of it through his. You have. I thought these were both going to be two different views of. It, no, it, it's been said that it's 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 uh you're you're talking about the yes the concept, black and white and then the color. that's not that's not Robert Downey Jr. That's supposed to be Oppenheimer. So which one's true then? The the Oppenheimer. No. Oh, facts black and white. Facts are black and yes. white. Yes. Okay. Like it it is like this is how it is. Everything in well, color though is is uh Oppenheimer's like um his perception of mm-hmm. it all um and which is why i think we get some portrayals the way that they are yeah um i'll say like i think i think it's good that we talked about mr nobody before because we talked about the storytelling mm-hmm. of that it's very cut um like it's very just back and forth as far as timelines and all that stuff oppenheimer is the same way but the reason that Oppenheimer is amazing and effective because the pacing is brilliant oh, so in it. And that's hard to, that, that's high praise considering this movie's over three yes. hours long. Um, the thing that stuck with me the most, I think just like first, like stuck with me the most is the beginning. It, it kind of has him in the, in the classroom and the, the professor embarrasses him, makes him stay mm-hmm. after class. And he, yeah. he decides he's going to get back with, back at him by injecting cyanide and <laughs> to, apple in his that, desk. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, and ends up going into the lecture, meeting the guy back in the classroom, which I didn't know Kenneth Branagh was in this movie. Yeah. Missed that. Absolutely amazing. There were two real big surprises in this movie. That was one of them. I did not know Kenneth Branagh was in this movie and then I I, did not know Gary Oldman. I was losing it in the moment. And I, I didn't say anything because I was sitting right next to Kyle. I knew I I didn't know Kyle. Well, I literally staff on scene said, Oh shit. So the (laughs) other one though, the biggest one for me was Casey Affleck. Oh yeah, I, did. I said that Brilliant. too. I looked, at, I looked at Dawson. And said, I didn't know if Casey Affleck was in there, and I also didn't know the Scarsgar brother was in there. Either. Yeah, I was like, "Well, I mean, he's the least known Scarsgar, yeah. but I loved Vikings, so yes. I recognized Floki immediately. Like, oh, it's Floki. Yeah, and I was like, he goes, "Who's um, Floki? It's a Scarsgar." But no, the sign. Oh, Safty brother. I didn't know Benny Safty was in it either. How did you not know Benny Safty? He's in the previews. I didn't recognize it was Benny Safty. Benny Safty's so much to talk about in this movie. And uh, we, got, we got to stay. We got to stay in yeah, this. Okay, but yeah. the sign, I think, for me, why it stuck with me though, is that this is a moment where he is. This is a. This is a man who later on is described to be very prideful and sadistic, and all these different things. Um, has this track record, and he acts on those things. So he injects this cyanide to to cause this pain. But after after some contemplation, after he realizes the weight of it all, after he realizes the consequences of it, he tries yeah. to to. To reverse it or whatever and right. basically get rid of the apple and doesn't do anything um that to me explained the moral side of this movie more than anything which i How? think is the whole point because you see j robert oppenheimer is a man who is um you know a genius by all rights a genius of his time you see the you see the um the symbolism of him meeting 
um, Albert Einstein is basically a passing of the torch type of moment. What a brilliant that whole from the opening. It was good. No, see that 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 to me gave me heavy Inception, Interstellar was, kind of vibes. Uh, it was it was your classic Nolan trope. Yeah, loved that. Um, yeah, and I thought it was better done. It's, effect- some of his it's, other a, Nolan it's effective because it wasn't as heavy handed. Yeah, 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 that's a good way to say it. Yeah. it. It was subtle. It wasn't unbelievable. Yeah, and it was easy to grasp, well, but also sobering. Like whoa. So we have a source text for this. Like it's based off the American Prometheus book. Mm. The the Einstein stuff doesn't technically happen. Yeah, apparently. Um, any at least it? that exchange there's there is some some parallelism like they they do kind of have run run-ins and all that stuff but it does not it's not portrayed that way yeah um but what was i talking about before that um uh yeah he's he's just this man that is extremely prideful um and and just wants to he he explains it the professor explains it to him as like are you you're you're are you someone that can see the music and play it or do you hear it and you know what otherwise can't and he he's a visionary mm. that's why he's drawn to theory um and i forget what we were talking about as far as the what did you ask me that i was explaining all this stuff now because i'm lost i kind of remember but i don't um because i was looking at Robert Downey Jr. and I, I was also like Josh Harnett. I was like, oh, I forgot Josh. Josh Harnett. Harnett. Love Josh Harnett. Yeah, uh, I mean, we could we could go on and talk about all this stuff, but then we're not going to get into like what what actually makes this movie great. Yeah, well, what I think locks this movie up for one specific Oscar, yeah, is sound. Oh, dude, the sound in the from a, the beginning after they the bomb is successful, and he goes in to speak and he doesn't want to at that like rally mm-hmm. where everything goes deafening where they're stomping and stuff like that. The sound design in that moment. Mm-hmm. incredible yeah and also the editing in general like i see a world in which this gets nominated for one in every oscar yeah like every single i don't know how oh, yeah. one, maybe obviously not song but every category it could be nominated for uh, would get nominated costume, for. probably not i could see it get nominated for costume design especially if they keep pushing films out of this year yeah now will no, it be killers of a flower moon no will it be barbie even no will, will killers of a flower moon release? i think i think that'll release this year Especially with it being a light year. I think that's all the more reason to. Unless, I mean, to me, this year is Oppenheimer versus Killers of the Flower Moon anyway. Yeah. So, um, but it, that's beside the point. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you if you if we want to keep talking characters and what they mean, that's fine too. But I'm ready to talk about Robert Downey Jr. Okay. People told me before going into this, and the hype was there that like, hey, he's going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor and probably deserves to win. Yeah. I wasn't on that train. I was like, you know, it looks, he looks great in the film, whatever, but I just don't see, I just didn't see it. Well, I, the first two hours, he's, he's a, he's, he's a side character. Like, he he also, he just felt like Tony Stark to me. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good, bad, and different. That's yeah. the Marvel effect. Like, hey, I just now associate him with that character. Mm-hmm. And he always has been that character. And it fitting. It was a perfect casting on Marvel's side and obviously beneficial to him as well. Yeah. But like, I look at Matt Damon right above him on the, the like, I don't think of any other Matt Damon role anytime he's on screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he's consistently good at everything he does. Yeah. Sometimes great, mostly just good at everything he does. Robert Downey Jr., I do specifically associate with that. Yeah. Um. He broke that for me. This this movie. And you the, didn't see. Never saw Sherlock. 
I thought he's a very effective Sherlock. No, I'm not saying he doesn't do other effective yeah. things. I'm saying like I always you see always, him as yeah. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Stark. It always Mark. overshadows every character. Every other plays. character he does. Because I yeah. always just see Tony Stark. This I felt that way until the end. Those last which that court procedural the drama, f- really the last hour yeah. or so, is the most riveting part of the whole film. Really? I thought so. Because everything else I expected, I knew. I'm glad to hear it. I enjoyed it. I really. Yeah. Like I, I just, it, nothing was surprising for me. Yeah. Until that last until hour. That, yeah. And I was shook. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's where you really get to see Robert Denny Jr. Robert Denny Jr. Really. He cooked. She's, dream, she's dreaming. <laughs> yeah. I'm running over here. Uh, yeah. He, he is subdued, but explosive. He's explosive. In the. In, in a way I haven't seen from Ray Jr. in a long time. Yeah. Like, it was fantastic. And doubly, Alden Ehrenrich went toe-for-toe with him, I thought. That was the only one that I like. I liked the role, mm -hmm. and it was fitting, but there wasn't enough. Like, we didn't get enough of it. Right, I agree. I I I, I was about to say, I thought he did great going toe-to-toe with him, but I don't understand the hype. Like, he should get an Oscar if Robert Andrew gets an Oscar. Like, he wasn't that good. He wasn't overshadowed by any means, I didn't think. Like, I didn't think, like, wow, he doesn't deserve to be on the screen. I thought he did well. And it's, it's definitely be a good, it. it'll be good for his career yeah. because uh, he did good. He did good enough to not be overshadowed in an Oscar winning performance, I think. But yeah, um, I, I thought I thought their dialogue was very good on both ends. Uh, and I also thought uh, and a lot of pe- a lot of people aren't giving him, I think, their credit he deserves here. Uh, I thought that Jason Clark as uh, the attorney, Roger Robb. Had some really good moments as the antagonistic lawyer. Yes, I thought, especially the the, the scenes with Emily Blunt. Well, uh, yeah, because we're we're led to believe going up there that he's the he's the villain. Yeah, for whatever reason, we're we're channeling this frustration, or whatever, to him, and then we get the reveal at the end of like, oh, dang, okay, um, yeah, it's it's really effective. Yeah, some of the best monologues in this film take place in the small courtroom mm-hmm. uh, where they're doing the uh, witch hunt on. Uh, Oppenheimer yeah and Jason Clark I thought each time just blew it out of the water um I thought he was fantastic I thought Emily Blunt I was underwhelmed with Emily Blunt the majority of the film until that final scene where she comes in there she's freaking out freaking out freaking out just brings it yeah I thought she was fantastic and is now I mean she's garnering a lot of supporting actress thing now did she do enough I don't know. I thought it maybe had been a little too late, but what she brought at the end was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and the makeup on her too. Fantastic. I, uh, I was one, the first two hours, a lot like the Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's no, well, you probably don't keep up the Christopher Nolan discourse of his, whether it's, female representation or just like how he views women yeah. in his movies and all that stuff has kind of been like a talking point, I guess. And uh what we saw for what he did with Emily Blunt, like the first two hours, I was like, oh my gosh, this dude just just can't stand women. Yeah. Like they're they're either something for sex or a means of uh Yeah, because we'll know, get to Florence Pugh in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the Emily Blunt character I think was was uh effective as far as like a driving like a driving force for um oppie op, mm. um to to kind of like push him forward which she, she was very motivating 
Um, but the last hour of that that third act, that last hour sold me. This film was like a solid four and a half, five. Oh wow, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but th- that last hour solidified this yeah. as a five, and not only as a five, but like top two, no one. I me. was I was a five um, all the way through. I was starting to get hesitant to that third act. I was like, okay, now that this bombs went off, where is that? What's left? And what that, is that's, there left that's to what do? I love about this film. Like that was actually such a, it was such a middle piece. Yeah. It almost is an afterthought because mm-hmm. it's such front heavy building it. And then there's such tail end at the well, ones at the end. Yeah. There's, like, there's a version of this. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. No, no, that was my thought. Like they'll like, say the bomb almost doesn't even matter yeah. outside of just being the catalyst for the whole thing. There's a version of this to where these are three totally separate movies Yeah, where your first half is like this, this origin story of who Oppenheimer is. Mm-hmm. It's not a, necessarily a bio biopic type of thing, but it's, it's like, this mental because everything in the the first the first portion of this movie everything is internal he is literally all the different flashes and stuff of the splitting the atom and the the fission of all that stuff i don't yeah. know all the scientific terms but like either. that's that's all in his mind it's it signifies you know his ability to to see the to 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 play the stuff that's written on there without truly understanding what's written type of thing mm-hmm. and then so that's completely conceptual um the second part is like an ocean's 11 type of like let's get the band together and like i, I was wondering if you were gonna i, I thought oh, ocean's at one point love I didn't know it. If you were gonna absolutely love it and you throw in the matt damon like which ringleader was fantastic we matt about him yet. awesome yeah he he was he was great in this movie i loved matt damon's matt damon's character he had that scene where he comes in and loses his shit on uh Oppenheimer's in there with somebody else and he just loses it it's the first time he's the only time in the film he goes like unhinged uh, is it whenever he finds out that he talked with the Casey Affleck character yes yes yeah. loved it yeah he was because great. then because what he does is he explains it's like do you realize what you've done you've told this person you know we're we're supposed to think Matt Damon's the guy that you don't mess around with well no there's a guy you really don't mess yeah. around with and and he, yeah. you find out he's the one that ends up and he's lower ranked than Matt Damon too like that's the funny thing yes um uh, yeah so freaking effective so that 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 ocean's 11 it's like it's just an, an adventure type of thing they they go to new mexico and so it's like this destination piece as well and then the third is just your um your law like your your uh court you know what's the phrase procedural yeah procedural yep. court type of movie which is just classic um three different movies man it's absolutely amazing so we we touched on it, um, and before we get fully into it, uh, Rami Malek, whatever his last yeah. name, very small part. I liked his little courtroom I didn't thing. Like it. I didn't like anything up until like, what's the point? And then I liked his courtroom, his courtroom appearance. I don't understand why he always has to play this part. What part? Of uh, the awkward, like yeah, that's what I'm saying. The- I didn't like that until he took the stand. Like everything else was like, why are you even in this movie? But I did like that. Uh, I didn't fully understand why he did it because Oppenheimer never really bonded with him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I thought so too, but I thought his performance was good. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Florence Pugh. <laughs> okay. She's a pivotal part in this movie. Is Gene Tatlock, which is his communist lover, kind of on and off. And um, Okay. I'm going to ask you a question once you get this through. No, go ahead. Um, did you realize that she was a therapist? No. <laughs> so the scene where they are doing it and she basically makes him read uh uh-huh. Sanskrit or whatever it's yeah. called. Sanskrit. Uh, that was right. Script, yes. Um 
she she explains you know or like he is he is explaining to her is like yes i've i've gone through therapy and all this stuff and then she starts to psychoanalyze him and all this all this other jargon that you otherwise don't realize if we're all too fixated on her nipples <laughs> yeah so yeah that's uh honestly actually i think this is a detractor to the film yeah i i you know, in India, they just CGI'd a drip black dress on her in yeah. the second scene where they're in the hotel. Yes. Uh, the first scene, I get it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. You know, it's and it's both scenes are actually tasteful. If there's a possible way for them to be tasteful, yes. it's not just I've, car like carnage sex. We were know? led to believe that it was much much worse, but I think it's that's, just as graphic, but in a different way. I think that's rightfully they're they're doing that rightfully so that it doesn't. Deter, like there's not a, a a worse response to it I guess yeah because um, I think o- overall people are walking out of this like like you're saying not like oh, I didn't see the big deal type, yeah. of, type of response to I mean, it I can see the big deal people want to make a big deal I can see it well yeah I because the, the headline was longest full frontal nudity scene on IMAX reel yeah like, which, I mean what it's probably know, maybe maybe three seven, minutes combined I think they said seven minutes there's seven minutes of Florence Pugh <laughs> yeah. naked yes and only point two seconds. I mean, if we're going to talk about Florence Pugh, like Killian Murphy's nipples are mosquito bites. Yeah, let's let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, even that, on even on that IMAX screen screen. Yeah, seventy I he was going to be in buffer. <laughs> no, dude's just like small. No. He's frail, man. Yeah, which I mean, I think you. I think that's like a not a not method acting type of thing. But I th- I think that's just like a commitment to the role. I also don't think he just cares. Oh, no? He's kind of like not a Hollywood kind of guy. No, he's an actor, actor. Yeah, like he doesn't want the, yeah, it's, he just appreciates it for the art. Which I couldn't tell. Were the eyes like enhanced? His blue eyes? Dude, they were piercing. I mean, just his, just his still photo for Letterboxd are pretty freaking blue right there. Yeah, yeah, it is. The man. Man's got eyes, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Florence Pugh stuff, I actually thought it was a little bit of a detractor. Wild done, kind of tastefully, especially the second scene, like when they're just sitting in the hotel room naked talking. A towel or something would have been fine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't under, and I, you know, I don't understand the point. I can do, nudity doesn't bother me if it makes sense. So I think it's important to remember the, the conceptual side of it. It's in color. So this is, we're led to believe this is Oppenheimer's, mm-hmm. like, his 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 perception of these experiences yeah. um and he's a womanizer he's all these different things he seeks out gene in these moments like whenever he's explaining to other people he's like oh yeah she was this person that just she clung on to all this stuff he sought her out yeah um but like no she sent him the letter it was back and forth though yeah it was back and forth um he would always bring her flowers and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it was this, this, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, I think again, like this woman was a therapist and he obviously sought her out for help. Um, but she was a communist Yeah, and he couldn't be fully honest with her. And I think some of the, some of those scenes are dramatized. Um, Obviously, it's a movie, so it's dramatized to begin with. But I think the, the the representation of it is dramatized. That's why, whenever they're in the the hearing in the small room, yeah, where we get the 
the, the other sex scene of them doing it and Emily yeah, Blunt's Emily imagine it and you see yeah. Killian's balls for just a brief second. Yes. Um, yeah, I just think it, a, a lot of that is just, uh, God, I wish I had a, th- a thesaurus, um, <laughs> but I think it's just conceptual um, what Oppenheimer's perceiving. Um, he looks nothing like the other Skarsgård brothers. Yeah, it's crazy. Sorry, I was, I was looking at the, I was trolling through the cast if I missed anything when you were saying that. I think, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Um, what do you, what did you think of, uh, whose character was it? Um, oh, Josh Hart, Hartland. Josh Harnett? Harnett, sorry, yes. I wish we had more meaningful moments with him. Um, Josh Hartnett's a fantastic actor. Uh, like, who was uh, who was the other American actor or the American scientist, the one he meets um, in Germany? I'm Jack sure. Quaid. No, not Jack Quaid. Alex Wolf. He's the older dude. Older dude. He's the one that always feeds him. Please don't do that, the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking through it. I don't recognize any of them. Well, that character, um, he's the one whenever he's he's direct, whenever he, um, Oppenheimer's um, putting together um, Los Alamos, he's like, you're going to run the Department of Theory, the Theory Department or whatever. Yeah. Oh, David Krumholtz? The one on the train? Yeah, the one who always yeah. sees him. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy from Santa Claus. Yes. Yeah. Which is funny because that's what I always associate with. It was done in his top uh, eight films when you go to Letterboxd. Uh, yeah, also didn't expect Alex Wolf to be in the film. And also, Jack Quaid would have waste. I mean, I, mean, I get it and everybody can yeah. have a big big role in it. but Him and Josh Peck, it's just like, you know, welcome to the show, guys. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Again, there's a, there's, a, there's a different version of this movie where you get a little bit of backstory on them and you fall in love with them and everybody's got their own favorite type of thing um but yeah just again it's everybody in the in the concept of like Oppenheimer this being his story all these very influent all these very influential scientists um who all contributed into making this life-altering um um you know, machine invention. Yeah. They pale in comparison to the father of that, a bomb. And like the meaning of that is, is, you know, very stark whenever you look at it all. Hmm. Who are you looking for? No, I was, you know, I went down a rabbit hole. It didn't lead me anywhere. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the last big cameo for me to my, floor me to the seat we mentioned it earlier didn't go into detail Gary Oldman yes you and I had the biggest reaction I I sat up and said oh shit I love it and also I was like is that is that I was like yeah yeah it is and, and you know pretty much it was a collective gasp and he nailed it yeah. so you know uh, Gary Oldman plays Harry Truman President Harry Truman uh, he has like a three to five minute screen time presence yeah. and as Gary Oldman typically does crushed it gave like this just menacing, condescending presidential mm-hmm. tone and nailed the accent, like crushed it. Yeah, Oppenheimer is 
is struggling with the guilt of the bombs the bombs um and is basically like i don't i feel like i have blood on my hands and he freaking i can't wait to see people like like that that would be a meme type oh, yeah, of thing like that is like there's quite a few things for this film that truman truman gets the the handkerchief out and he kind of acts like he's wiping it and it was like you know you know you you made it like that's fine but i'm the one that said to do it so like whose whose hands are really bloodied here and he finally sends him off and was well, like don't that, let that cry baby back oh, in here again absolutely yeah gary oldman just i'm just thankful i'm just so thankful to for, for that man like just looking at this cast like it's just overwhelming like just out loud Killian Murphy Emily Blunt Matt Damon Robert Downey Jr. Florence Pugh Benny Safdie uh, Michael Angrano I don't know who that is he but he had he's in 43 the Benny, films the, so the Benny Safdie we got to talk about that oh this is the old Disney kid he's in like Sky High and all that yeah. stuff yeah okay uh, the Benny Snafty character, though, we got to talk about it because that was the. That was the, the one <sighs> character I was conflicted over. OK, because I was struggling to find out the motive. Um, I felt like at different points he was trying to be a moral compass mm -hmm. as far as like. You know. There was there was the moment of like. Whenever he's trying to leave, whenever they're not focusing on the hydrogen bomb type of thing. And uh, he was, it was, a, it was a matter of like, I forget exactly how it was worded, but of um, how are you going to live with, like, do you, do you think about the people that it's going to affect type of thing? Right. But the hydrogen bomb is like even more like deadly than an atom bomb. Mm. Um, Which is all over my head. Yeah. Um yeah, listen, there's a there's a segment of this this podcast that we could have where we just spout absolute nonsense About over science. science. Yeah. That was the worst subject. That. Anything has to do even remotely close with like math adjacent things yeah. come out. Um but I thought Benny Safty though, as a, as the Hungarian professor, um absolutely killed it. I did too. His accent was amazing. Um I didn't realize that he was basically done uh directing. He just oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, he just wants to focus. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. He just wants to focus on acting now. And uh I mean if he's throwing up perf performances like that, man. Like go for it. Yeah, and it's also like you know who that is? Is that not Emily Blunt? It is. It's just totally different scenery, her like in pain <laughs> hustle or Pain Hustlers with Chris Evans and then seeing her in Oppenheimer just totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Oppenheimer for me, this is peak, not just, what was that? Oh, this didn't just peak Christopher Nolan. This is peak cinema. Yeah. Like this is one of the best films, like you said, the past decade. And this will probably go down as like a top. My guess is this will be a top 100 film of all I, time. But it's all said. I heard it. I heard it explained this way is that Christopher Nolan, he is, he is someone that, he d views himself as a genius and like this amazing, you know, gift to cinema, whatever. Rightfully so in some yeah, aspects, he's amazing, laundry. but he's been looking for that defining moment, like that movie. So where people put him up with like, this is his Stanley Kubrick-esque type mm -hmm. movie. Um, and I see it. I do too. Um, I think people will look back at this and hmm. think very, very fondly of it. Uh, there's a girl I follow on IGN. Yeah, she's she's been saying for weeks 
on Twitter. Like, like not, to my knowledge, I'd not seen one thing about Gary Oldman in this film. They yeah. kept it off off the books completely. But about two months ago, Girl on IGN um, tweeted that the cast of Oppenheimer, it just feels like a Gary Oldman movie. Why is he not in this movie? Blah, blah, blah. That's amazing. And then she said, she, she tweeted this. She said, spent two thirds of Oppenheimer thinking, man, this feels like a Gary Oldman movie. He should be in this. And then <laughs> she had a moment. <laughs> yeah, like crushed it. Like I just, I had that moment and the moment I heard Casey Affleck's voice, mm -hmm. which again. Which I thought was Ben Affleck at first before he said anything. Oh, the, no. the, side, the side profile. Was like, no, Affleck? Casey Affleck's voice is distinguishable. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, as soon as he opened his mouth, I knew who yes. it was. But when they saw him sitting down the side profile, I was like, oh shit, is this Ben? Yeah. Man, that would have been dope too. Have we seen Ben Affleck in a Nolan movie? No. Yeah. Okay. I don't think so. Not that I can think of. Casey Affleck though. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, this cast absolutely amazing. This movie absolutely amazing. I truly do not see this movie. I mean, Killian got to get nominated for best actor. Mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. best supporting actor. There's a there's a case like I mean it, it would not be beneficial, but he could he could go for lead. Um, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he wouldn't. It would against Leo and Killian. Ain't no yeah. way. I'd stay supporting. But yeah. I, th th those two will definitely get nominated. Emily Blunt will get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Do mm -hmm. I think she did enough to get it? Probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also the possibility Florence Pugh could too, but I doubt it for this film. But yeah. she does have some pretty good emotional moments in it. But yeah. I, I would say Emily Blunt. It'll get nominated for Best Picture. It'll get nominated for Best Score. The score of this film was incredible. Yes. The tension building scene over scene over scene over scene carrying over to the next was amazing. It'll get nominated for Best Score. It'll get nominated for Best Cinematography. I think it'll be get, it'll get uh, nominated for Best Original Screenplay or Adapted Screenplay probably. Well, what would it be? Probably Original. I think it's Adapted. I thought it was just based on it. I don't know if that makes it Adapted, right? Mm, you're probably right. Yeah, whatever. It'll, it'll get nominated for that. Uh, it'll get nominated for best set production design. It'll get nominated yes. for best costumes. Won't win that, but it'll get nominated. And are those the, are those kind of the big ones? I think I've got them all. I think it'll get nominated for everything. Yeah, that outside of uh, original song, everything that applies to a movie, everything that applies to that movie, a it'll major get nominated motion for picture. Yeah. So, so where does this rank in your your Nolan movies then? Uh, try number two, three, two or three. What's uh Inception? Give me, give, give me the top three. Inception, number one. My number one. Okay, I saw that movie like twelve times in theaters, man. I understand. I guess I need to revisit it. But yeah, but you know my movie palette. I know Inception is like number one up there. I don't even know movie palette. I just think it's nostalgic. No, Inception holds up. I I know it holds up, but the fact no, that no, like it, the like, fact that it holds up on top of no, I'm saying that that kind of like weird like you know that the Inception yeah, that is you. my type of thing. Anyway, and it's also just perfect. So I would say Inception, Oppenheimer, Dark Knight, The Dark Knight. No, probably The Prestige. So then The Dark Knight being the first one out. I was always, I was always very big on The Prestige, and I think it's finally been bumped from my top three. Yeah, I just recently rewatched it. Yeah, and it got bumped back up into my yeah. top three. I think right now, I think right now it's, I think Oppenheimer's one, mm -hmm. possibly two. Um, Are you an Interstellar guy? No. Um, Tenet. Tenet is up there. Really? I, I love Tenet. Man, we should have just done Christopher Nolan interview. Uh, hey, it's not too late to change. <laughs> no. It, now that we have some space. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, Oppenheimer, yeah, Tenet, probably three. Uh, uh, no, no, Tenet, probably two. 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 And then probably we Memento. Either. 
I've only seen Memento once. And I saw it a long time ago. I need to get that. Memento, I think, laid the. That was the moment where he got that cross cutting, like timeline shifting thing. Like that was it. Yeah, that was the the moment where it's insomnia. It it's out. Nolan's too, isn't it? Yeah, that's Al Pacino and Alaska. Robin Williams. Yeah, I watched a bunch of Robin Williams movies last year. So yeah, that's one I have not watched. It's that good. I need to. It's yeah. probably the weaker one of the weaker. Yeah, but it's good. It's just what I've weaker. heard. Um, because it doesn't really have a lot of Nolan's identity stuff into it, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Oppenheimer, fantastic. Barbie, fantastic. For me, two five star films, two best of the year. Had an absolutely great time with both. Um, I it just sets up the rest of the year for failure, except for uh, Killers of a Flower Moon. I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if we don't see Killers of the Flower Moon unless something changes with the strike. But who knows, man? I think I think that one releases regardless. Everything else, I think, is open. Luna, open do you is, are you saying it's time to go? I think it's time to go. Yeah, I think so too. So this has been another episode of Mostly Film. We'll be back with you not next week, but the week after that, and we'll be breaking down. Luna's barks. Uh, we'll be breaking down. Uh, we'll we'll do our normal normal recaps for the Tuesday episode. And Thursday, we'll be doing coherence. No, no, no. Uh, Annette and Mississippi, Mississippi grind. Um, so that'll be next Thursday. So if you're gonna, you that's some required watching over the next couple weeks yeah. for you. Um, anyway, because you've been listening to your ears are tingling, your butthole's on fire, and you're just happy right now. Give us five stars. Subscribe. Like it. Be a good citizen. You know you like it. So uh, we'll be back with you soon. Uh, this has been another episode of Mostly Film. If you want to stop chaotic shot for all things over the film? I want to be your host, John Thomas Quarter. Joined by my beautiful co-host, JP Payton. All right. See you guys. See y'all.